We're live. Alexander, how are yes. you? Well, we are. <clears throat> I've got a slight uh, voice issue again, probably an infection, but I think I'll be fine for our live. I hope people can hear me clearly. Yeah, you're coming through loud and clear. Let me just click the go live button here for Rockfin as well. Okay, fantastic. We are live on Rockfin. We are live on Odyssey. We are live on Rumble and hit that like button on Rumble as well. And of course we have the chat going on on locals, the Duran.locals.com. Hello to everyone that is joining us for this Friday stream. It is me and Alexander today, and uh, it's been quite a busy week, and I just think we didn't have much time, Alexander, to to organize a, a guest to come on, so we decided that uh, it'll just be me and you for today. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll have a good stream, I think. Let's say hello yes. to our moderators. Uh, Alan Watson and Zarael is with us. And uh, who else? I think that's that's it for now. So hello, Zarael. Hello, Alan. Hope you guys are doing well. And um, <clears throat> let's let's talk for like five minutes, Alexander, on the Chinese, not a peace proposal, maybe like a peace position paper, yeah. perhaps we can yeah. call it. It's just been released. Yes. And uh, and hello to everyone on YouTube as well that is watching in the YouTube chat. Let's talk about that for like five minutes and then let's just take questions yeah. from from all of our platforms, our five platforms that we're broadcasting <laughs> on right now. Let's just take questions and we'll go on for about maybe an hour and 30 minutes or as long as your voice holds up, Alexander. <laughs> and uh, and we'll, uh, we'll have a good weekend. So yes. let's... Uh, Let's talk about real quick. Let's talk about this um, this policy position paper. That Absolutely, there, uh, and of course, it's um, the latest in a series of papers that the Chinese have been releasing over the course of the week. A, a, a very powerful one on U.S. foreign policy, U.S. hegemony, which they've been criticizing. We discussed that. We've discussed that in a in a video, a, sp a specific video, which we've done. Well, there's been a lot said about this Chinese peace plan. It's not a peace plan. It's not even a roadmap. It's just basically a s statement of essential principles, which China believes <clears throat> should be observed in seeking a resolution of this crisis. And you could take these principles and you could adopt them to any crisis you wanted or so it seems to me. What the Chinese are basically saying is, we've got to observe the UN Charter, we've got to respect the territorial integrity and sovereignty of nations, we've got to try and resolve political problems like the Ukraine crisis, problems like the Ukraine crisis through negotiations, there should be a ceasefire, but they do say things which the West is never going to accept. They say, first of all, that there should be no um, blocks, that they make it quite clear 
that as far as they're concerned, it was the eastward expansion of NATO that is at the root cause of the problem. They should say that the security interests of all countries should be respected. And of course, what they mean here is that Russia's security interests need to be respected. That was, the again, the origin point of the whole crisis. Remember, before the war began, the Russians published two draft treaties, one about NATO, one about relations with the United States. The West rejected both. Substantively, it refused to negotiate on either. The Chinese are making it very clear that they consider that to have been a grave mistake and not just a mistake, but something that was profoundly wrong. They say they say other things. They say that in a conflict like this, you should not be shipping weapons to one side, which is, of course, something that the West will take a strong exception to. They say that if there's going to be a ceasefire, that has to be coupled with a cessation of weapons supplies essentially to Ukraine. There is no way the Western powers can accept that. But the other thing, the thing that's perhaps the most unacceptable of all, is that they say that all unilateral sanctions must be lifted. They make it clear that China opposes the imposition of any sanctions that are not authorized by the UN Security Council. By the way, that's also the Russian position. The Chinese consider all such sanctions ultimately illegal and they think that all of these unilateral sanctions should be immediately lifted well again the western powers are not going to do that so this isn't a roadmap to peace as i said it's not really a peace plan it's a set of principles the chinese are saying <clears throat> we're constantly asked what our view of the crisis is this is our view of the crisis. This is our view of how a crisis should be resolved. And specifically this one, there should be an end, a cessation of fighting. There should be negotiations. Everybody should be assisting both sides to negotiate. Again, this is a slightly loaded expression because we all know that in terms of Ukraine, it was the Western powers notably the United States and Britain, which sabotaged the negotiations that were taking place in Istanbul last year. So the Chinese say there should be negotiations, there should be a cessation of hostility, the UN Charter should be observed, there should be no unilateral sanctions, there should be no weapon supplies, and everybody's security interests should be respected, and in this particular case, that means no eastward expansion of NATO. So, as I said, completely unacceptable to the West. The West has hurried to reject it. Um, Jens Stoltenberg has been making very critical comments about it, even as I'm speaking. And I think that's a mistake, actually, because around the world, lots of countries are going to look at these this Chinese statement and they're going to say this makes sense. This is a reasonable approach to these sort of crises. And we saw yesterday that the United States and the Western powers moved heaven and earth to get a, a resolution through the General Assembly uh, of the UN. 
they needed to do it before this Chinese position paper was published. The result was they took practically the entire substance out of this resolution. They limited it to saying, you know, that Russian troops should withdraw, which is almost the least they could say. They got the same 141 countries to vote for it as have voted for it before. But several of those countries came out and said, you know, that they weren't happy at being asked to vote in this way again. I mean, I think Colombia being one of them. And other countries said this really isn't helpful. And all the usual crowd, <clears throat> um, India, China, they both abstained. So it, it, it's showing again that the diplomatic wind is shifting it's shifting away from the West. The Chinese have issued this position paper and by rejecting it out of hand, as the Western powers have just done, they're appearing unreasonable. Yeah. That was the point of the position paper, I feel, was to was exactly. to get well, the understanding that that the United States, that, that the West would would reject the, the paper. I think that was yes. the... I, I don't want to call yeah. it a trap, but that was what, what everyone expected with the chinese what the russians expected and, and it does act, and it does act as as a type of counterweight to the u.n uh resolution that that yes. was passed yesterday which was a meaningless uh, yes. resolution and and all the talk about uh Elensky's 10 point peace plan which we also know what it is and you know it, it acts as a good counterweight to that so i think this was yes. a quite a clever um diplomatic move from the chinese and i'm positive the russians were were briefed on this and consulted on this. Of course they were. They worked on it yeah. together. Uh, and of course, Zelensky's peace plan has gone up in smoke. I mean, it, it's not really something that anybody's interested in anymore. I mean, there's yeah. some token uh, 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 support for it. But I mean, nobody around the world outside the West takes it seriously. Yeah. OK, so um, any, anything else that you want to uh, add, Alexander, or should we well, go to? Well, some... well, just 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 very quickly that we've had more news from the battlefronts. Berhova, right. this other village has now been captured. Um, progress around Bakhmut continues. And, you know, we've been talking about Bakhmut for a long time. We've been talking about it since August. But since January, things have undoubtedly accelerated a lot there. So, you know, we had Solidar. We've, in the north, we had Solidar, Krasnaya Gora, Paraskovievka. Now Berkhova has been taken. There's been other places to the north, Blagodatnoye, Sako i Vincetti, which is, I think, an extraordinary name for a place in the Donbass. And very indicative, by the way, of the feelings of people there, the kind of ideological leanings, if you like, of people there. And to the south of Bakhmut, Opitnoye, Klesheyevka, they're moving on Ivanovka. They're closing in on Chasovya. In fact, I don't think one can say any longer that this is a slow-moving battle. This is a fast-moving battle now, given the size of the forces deployed on each side. And Zelensky's just given his latest address, and it was a pessimistic one. He said things are very tough. Things are getting very hard on the front lines, particularly in the south and the east. Well, that's where the fighting is going on. And you can see that. You can see that around Bakhmut, things are moving at an accelerating pace. And you can see also there's now more talk, apparently, that in the south, 
around Uglada and Marinka, and these are probably two linked battles. I don't pretend to quite understand the nature of the fighting there, but apparently there as well, the Russians have made some advances, and they've made more advances around Evdevka as well. So the Chinese published these plan, events on the ground continue to follow the same direction that we've been talking about for some weeks now. Yeah, and I just... I always bring up the point that, um, you know, the, the Chinese, I'm positive the Chinese understand exactly what's going on on the ground. I mean, yeah. whether they're getting information from from the Russian command or whether they're they have their own um, systems, their own ability to see what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. There is no way that the Chinese would be coming out with these statements or these types of position papers if they didn't have a clear understanding uh, of the trajectory of things on the uh, on the ground, that's that's my own feeling of things. I, I would think the Chinese would understand that this is the way things are heading. So now we can move in this direction from a from a diplomacy or diplomatic standpoint. Exactly, they're they're very very confident. They know exactly what's going on on the ground. They know exactly what's going on inside Russia. I mean, they 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 got they got in. If you go to to Russia today. Well, at least last time I was there, which is before the war, long before the war, 2018, I think it was, the, the Chinese are everywhere now. <laughs> they are incredibly well informed about the situation in Russia. And of course, they have their own representatives permanently based in the Russian Ministry of Defense and in the Russian command headquarters, as the Russians, by the way, have in the Chinese Ministry of Defense in Beijing. So they are very well informed from the Russians directly and independently of the Russians. Well, they have as many satellites apparently now as the US does. They're absolutely well informed about everything that's going on. And you can see that they are very, very confident. You, 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 you look at Wang Yi and how he was operating both in Munich and in Moscow. And he doesn't come across as a man in a hurry or a man who's trying desperately to put, to cobble things together fast. He's moving in a very steady, methodical and very confident way. And that's because the Chinese are very confident that the situation on the ground is shaping out as they would wish. And let's be very clear, what they want in Ukraine, well, they may not have, you know, they may not feel about this as strongly as the Russians do. I mean, they've had, they don't feel about it as strongly as the Russians do. Historically, they've had a reasonable relationship with Ukraine. But overall, they absolutely want the Russians to win. I don't think anybody is in any real doubt about that. And by the way, there's been um, pictures now appearing on the Chinese uh, internet. This is their own internet, various Chinese bloggers and people of that kind, and they're starting to draw partition lines, and you know, the whole of the south and east goes to Russia, the industrialized agricultural area, and Kiev itself is now divided. So, you know, it, it, Kiev itself would be like Berlin. It would be east and west Berlin, east under Russian control, west under well, presumably still the nominal control of the Ukrainian government. Hardly sustainable positions, but you can see the drift of Chinese thinking. 
Yeah. Um, do, do you know uh, Edward uh, Lut Lutwick, Alexander? Absolutely. Edward Lutwak, in fact. Yeah, Lut Lutwak. I'm not a... sure if this is, I, I saw this on Telegram, so I'm, I'm not 100% mm. sure of this quote, but uh, the quote goes something like, dissolving the Russian Federation is not the same as dissolving the USSR. It will be like the collapse of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which many celebrated in 1919 and bitterly mm. mourned in 1929. Only if China is dissolved first, only then can we do without the Russian Federation. Once again, I'm not 100% sure that that's a quote from yeah. Ludwig. I'm seeing it on Telegram. But the general idea is that, uh, you know, you, the general thinking was that you have to go through Russia first before you, you get to China. We may be seeing a kind of change taking place in that we are seeing the, the collective West. We are seeing NATO starting to to focus in on, on China. It seems like they're, they're starting to say, you know, maybe we should go after China a little bit more now and, and perhaps maybe going after Russia may not have been the, the right plan all along. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm starting exactly to sense that. that. Yeah. yeah, Edward Litvak has been around for decades. I mean, I can remember him back in the 90s and he's written all kinds of books. He's somebody who's very into grand strategy and that kind of thinking. Like a Brzezinski type? A, he's a Brzezinski type. He's not exactly a neocon and he was something of a rival, I think, to Brzezinski. And where Brzezinski was more aligned at that time, this is the 90s, with the Democrats, um, Ludwig was, in, in those days, more aligned with the Republicans. I don't think that's true any longer, by the way. But he's, he, he's one of these people in the United States who poses as a grand strategic thinker. <laughs> Let me put it in that kind of way. So I, 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 I don't think that he is especially influential anymore. I remember that back in the 90s, he was somewhat critical of the eastward expansion of NATO. And he was somewhat critical of the attack on Yugoslavia. He was questioning whether that was really a good idea. He seems to have drifted closer to the neocon since. After all, he's got to sell his books and make his money and get his place on the think tanks and get invited to all the usual uh, uh, places. But I, I always got the sense that he was somewhat less anti-Russian than some of the other neocons were. But he is well plugged in to many of the debates that take place in the United States. He's close to some people in the Pentagon. And I think his latest thing does reflect some of the thinking in the Pentagon, the thinking of the Pentagon realists, the people behind the Rand Corporation report that we saw recently. He says, look, we're, we're fighting the wrong enemy. Russia isn't uh, you know, important. It isn't dangerous in that kind of way. Our plan ought to be to try to win it over. Instead, we should be focusing on the Chinese instead. By the way, whatever the outcome of the division of the Austro-Hungarian Empire was, I want to make it absolutely clear. Russia is completely different. The Austro-Hungarian Empire was made up of multiple different nationalities. No one, not one of them, was a majority in it. The core nationalities was the Germans in Austria and the Hungarians obviously in Hungary but alongside those there were Slavs there were uh, um, Romanians there were all kinds of people and Russia by contrast 80% of the population are ethnic Russians <laughs> and that's right across its entire territory 
in the Caucasus, in one or two micro, well, thinly populated republics in um, in Siberia. It's not so, but you know, these are isolated islands in the Russian Sea. So, I mean, you know, you can't remotely compare today's Russia with the Austro-Hungarian Empire as it existed before the First World War. I mean, I, I, I know that that's history that I studied. It's, it's a fundamental misunderstanding. The Habsburg Empire, perhaps, which is as it should be called, was a kind of bringing together of the family regions, regions controlled by the Habsburg family. And they were places of many different nationalities. Um, Russia is a completely different place. Right. It's what we would call in Greek an ethnos, <laughs> just, just to say. Yeah. Okay, so let's, uh, let's take questions. Let's go for like an hour and, mm. uh, and just take questions from, uh, from everybody that's watching. And let's start off with, uh, let's go to, let's go to locals. And we have Celso7 who says, what about, what about the fight? Oh, I lost it again. Uh, one sec, Alexander. Celso7 says, what about the fight about weapons and transport support from the Russian army to the Wagner group? The Wagner yeah. group boss is supposed to have spoken of treason, Zero Hedge. That's according to Zero Hedge. I, I think this is all fog of war. This is misdirection from, from Wagner. I think all of this stuff is, I don't know, something doesn't feel feel right about it. But well, anyway, what are, your, what are your thoughts? I mean, there, there was this big public row between the Russian Ministry of Defense and um, Prigozhin. And I think, I'm going to say this, I think we should be anyway careful not to completely conflate Prigozhin with the Wagner Group. Prigozhin is a businessman with a rather interesting past, by the way. But he's not a soldier. He's never served in the military. He's not a military commander. He does not command the Wagner Group on the ground. There are the people who do that are trained officers who come from the Russian army. And I think that's a point people do need to understand. And they are subordinated to the Russian Defense Ministry's chain of command. So Prigozhin has had some kind of a row with the Defense Ministry. It may be theater. It may be him getting you know, a bit too big for his boots or, you know, whatever, or getting overexcited or trying to achieve some kind of grandiosity or thinking of some sort of political position or whatever. But the fact is, it makes absolutely no difference to what's actually going on on the battlefields. And even Prigozhin now accepts that the Wagner group is getting all the munitions it needs. So as I said, whatever that row was about, and you know, we can all have our theories, it's irrelevant to the course of the war. And all that it might lead to is questions about Prigozhin's future itself. But really, should that concern us? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think he's that important a person, actually. Peace Now says, any chance China and Russia are aiming for a change of procedure at the UN that will cut the US out? I think that'd be impossible to achieve. I think that the structure of the United Nations was created in at the end of the Second World War, 1945. The country that pushed for the creation of the United Nations was the United States. 
it was very, very much Franklin Roosevelt's idea. That means that it's an American-created structure conceived around American ideas, presupposing the central role of the United States. And I think if you look at its rules, its set up, the way it's set up, it would be impossible to cut the United States out of the system. What the Chinese and the Russians could be aiming for, and I think this is plausible, is a situation where they gradually win a majority in the General Assembly. In other words, they, they basically take control of the General Assembly, the votes on General Assembly resolutions away from the United States. And that might be important because in time, if they can get a majority of states around the world to back their positions in the General Assembly, they could start using that to influence the composition of UN bodies and ultimately the UN Secretariat itself. Now, the Soviets nearly achieved that in the 1970s. And there was a brief time in the mid-1970s when the Soviets looked like they were going to gain control of the US, UN machinery, but it never quite happened. It could be in time, eventually, that the Chinese and the Russians will do that. But I think that's for the long term, and they can't cut out the United States. Right. Uh, John Carter of Marx says, given the comparison with the Roman Empire and the American Empire in terms of collapse, are there any obvious parallels that we can draw in order to better understand what's going on today? Well, there are lots of things one could talk about with the Romans and the Americans. I do think that there are fundamental differences. And I don't want to go into that because that's an overcomplicated story. And I think besides, I should say something else, which is that there's no actual consensus about why the Roman Empire did collapse. And, you know, when we're talking about the Roman Empire, it's important to stress we mean the Roman Empire in the West. The Roman Empire in the East became continued, you know, right up until 1453. And the citizens of that empire continue to call themselves Romans right up until the end, which isn't widely known. And we as Greeks, the two of us as Greeks, well, in Greece, we often speak of ourselves as Romi, still as Romans, in other words. It's still a colloquial name for Greeks because we still relate to the empire. But let's not push, push that. The country, the, the, the analogy I prefer most the one I think that fits the position of the United States best is that uh, is that of 17th century Spain. Spain of the 17th century, mid-17th century, was the most powerful state in Europe and most of the world by far. They had the biggest colonial empire, the most powerful army, the most uh, the strongest resources, and it collapsed very suddenly. And the reason it did that was because it became extremely overextended. And the fact that it was so overextended put extreme stress on Spain's domestic economy. And the Spanish economy began to break down and you started to get a, 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 an inflation crisis start to take hold. And eventually the... Regions within Spain 
itself started to break away. So there was a revolt in Portugal, which broke away permanently. Catalonia also rebelled. And taken together, that caused a crisis, which meant that the Spanish monarchy at the Spanish Empire lost their central position. And I think this is the greatest resemblance. And the interesting thing about this is lots of people in Spain could see it coming. You could all kinds of people who were saying we're overextended, we're trying to do too much, we're fighting in Germany, we're fighting in England, we're fighting against the Dutch, we're trying to run Italy, we're all over the place, we've got a retrench, we've got problems going on internally in Spain itself. And those people who wanted reform were always always defeated because they ran up against, if you like, the Spanish equivalent of the neocons who said that if we retrench, that's somehow a betrayal of Spain and the idea of Spain. And of course, the very powerful um, lobbies within Spain, which were benefiting from maintaining the Spanish empire as it was. So that, I think, is the, is the most valid parallel to the kind of situation we're seeing the US in today. From Stephen Wright, thank you both for the great work. Very appreciated. There's a lot of empty, dumb, weak uh, vessels leading NATO. You can see the WEF's recruitment profile. Let's build our own competitor to the WEF and recruit some true leadership. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, all I would say is, I mean, do we want an alternative to the WEF or do we just want no more WEF? I mean, I think, I think, you know, let's, I mean, by all means, let's have people coming together from different parts of the world and meeting and talking to each other and doing so properly. But the important thing is to return government and power and accountability and responsibility to to the states, to the to the nations, and hopefully in the West, that way, regain our democracies, not have these para-state organizations that make all these decisions for us, and which you absolutely rightly say, inevitably dumb down the kind of people that they produce, because those people ultimately are accountable to no one. Yeah. Troutwife UK says, I've been hearing of possible neocon links to satanic covens. Do you think that's an explanation of their arrogance and cruelty? I don't know. And I'm a little skeptical about this in terms of the United States. I mean, I don't know what goes on in the United States. What I get to say is this. And here I speak of what I know. Occultism is rife within the British establishment. I know it. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was for a long time at the RCJ and, you know, I was in receipt of some rather curious information whilst I was there. All sorts of very weird things go on. And I'm not going to talk about that because, you know, I'd be disclosing confidences, which I shouldn't really do. But certainly within Britain, you have an awful lot of that. Uh, whether it's similar in the United States about that, I can't really say. Wow. <laughs> Pathetic Albion says, what on earth is going on in Ohio? Good, good question. Well, nothing, actually. Uh, I mean, you yeah, know, I, 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 I think that interests in Britain, no, in Britain every day. I can, I mean, you know, no, nothing no that interests Joe Biden. 
and, and Pete Buttigieg, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing yeah. that interests those, those Absolutely. two. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's unbelievable, actually. I mean, it really is extraordinary that this terrible disaster has happened, you know, this big environmental disaster, and all these people who are so keen on the environment are completely uninterested in it. Same, I mean, I, same thing with Nord Stream. Well, the same thing with Nord Stream, exactly. I mean, uh, in some ways, it's the most vivid example, actually, of the way in which the media now is absolutely controlled. That you know they they're telling you about some things and not about others. You know, in the Soviet Union, they didn't report accidents, <laughs> they didn't report human catastrophes or calamities or anything of that kind. I mean, it took them several days to acknowledge that there was a nuclear power accident in Chernobyl, and that was only because Gorbachev was in charge. Otherwise, they wouldn't have reported it at all. There was massive earthquakes in all parts, in various parts of the Soviet Union, and you know, you never read about them. And it seems that the United States now has learned from this Soviet example and has decided to adopt it. Yeah, to me, that was one of the biggest uh, signals that that Nord Stream was, was that, well, let's just say that Cy Hirsch's article was probably spot on. The fact that you had a, 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 an environmental disaster in, in Nord Stream, but, mm. uh, you know, the... The media and the collective West, Greta, Greta Thunberg, all these people—they they didn't they didn't take any interest in it. No, no. And well, and that tells me that the Biden White House, the PR machine mm. of the Biden White House, told all of the NGOs and the think tanks and the activists to stay away from Nord Stream. Don't make it a big deal. Don't make this Absolutely. ecological environmental disaster a big deal because we don't want to draw attention to it. Absolutely correct. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, let's go to let's go to uh, locals. Let's go to locals again. Uh, BFTE. Yes. Wide says collect and send all WEF scholars to Epstein Island, restrict their travels in their support jets, protecting the global Excellent. environment. Excellent idea. They can then they can do all the various uh, things we were talking about. <laughs> they can do them by themselves, and we're not bothered uh, on their own island. Um, Law of Attraction says which which country or countries should offer an adequate peace plan so it would be discussed and agreed by all sides, or is it not possible for now? I do think it's possible for now. I mean, Ukraine's basically rejecting any idea of peace plans, and it's been told to do that. So, you know, they're saying we, we're only going to talk when all our territory, including Crimea, is re recovered, which is a formula for perpetual war, if you think about it. So th there is no real talk about peace at the moment. The Russians, a Russian uh, diplomat, Sergei Ryabkov, who is the deputy foreign minister, has actually said that if there's going to be a settlement of this crisis, it's going to have to happen at the level of direct talks between Russia and the US. I mean, because there's no conceivable way that Ukraine itself is going to make any kind of decision. The European Union is a hopeless case. And of course, we don't trust the US. I mean, he said all of that. So, you know, it's going to be very difficult at the moment. And Medvedev, another Russian uh, leader, more senior than Ryabkov by far, of course. Today, he was talking about the fact that the Russian army is going to have to go all the way to the Polish border. Yeah, he did say that. Mm. Let's see here. Uh, 1776 FML 
Welcome to the drag community. Mark Hewitt says the desperation of the Western MSM is palpable. Even Tony Blair was wheeled out to do an opinion piece the Telegraph today. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. Absolutely. Yeah, I read it. Tony I mean, Blair. you know, it, and that is desperate. I completely agree with you. Uh, along, <laughs> alongside the Archbishop of Canterbury, by the way, who went off, uh, went off piste a little. Uh, he was supposed to support the war in Ukraine. This is the Archbishop, but he, he sort of said, you know, we mustn't humiliate the Russians too much. That would be an unwise thing to do. So, uh, um, but, you know, Tony Blair, of course, you know, the great statesman, the man who brought peace and democracy to Iraq. He's obviously the right man to turn to at a time like this. <laughs> They're so good at projection. We don't want to humiliate the Russians. No, no. Says, says says someone who who supported uh, Boris Johnson. I don't know. I mean, yeah, absolutely. No, Justin Welby. He is. He is I mean, we don't want on, the Russians humiliated. He's on, he's on the Tory side. Absolutely. No, yeah. no question about that. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, jo Jorin, thank you for that super sticker. Ricardo Afonso says, "I said to keep an eye out for regime change talk regarding India. Now Soros is talking regime change for India. Protests are coming yeah. soon. Yeah." Yeah, absolutely. Soros has India in his uh, yeah. in his sights. Yes, I for financial reasons, succeed. for a lot of financial Morgan. reasons. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think it will succeed. By the way, to, to say that straight away, I think India is far too complex a society. I think Modi is far too popular, and the economy is strong. So this isn't really a formula for a successful regime change operation. But yes, I agree, they're going to try it there too. Yeah. From. Demon says, your truth is medicinal. Thank you, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Uh, Ricardo Alfonso says, the loss of their empire also led to fascism in Spain. Portugal as well as the colonial machine is turned on themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You're completely correct. This is uh, what happened. I mean, Spain, after the 17th century, went into a very prolonged decline. They were up. There were periods when it went up again in the 18th century, for example. But overall, you know, this <laughs> is sort of arc downwards. And it ended very badly in the 1930s in a really horrible civil war. And with a long period of fascism in both Spain and Portugal. Absolutely correct. I mean, you know, you can't dispute that. It came out again. Things seem to be a lot better there. And now, well, we see that... They are supporting the government in Ukraine and <laughs> they've become part of the European Union. And my own personal view is that a lot of what they've achieved in the last 40 years, 50 years, is now in jeopardy. Yeah. Um, BZP 1776 says SM SMP Sturgeon resigns, Indy Ref mm -hmm. donation, 600,000 pounds gone. Do you think the SMP can hold on to the executive? Uh, by the way, I'm glad you brought this up, that, you know, there's been this mysterious disappearance of £600,000. And and I want to stress this. I don't know that this is true. Perhaps it's not. But there are all sorts of rumours connecting Sturgeon's husband to this. I mean, it's probably not true. But all I'm reporting are the rumours, not, not, not the fact of this. But anyway, that it, there are all sorts of strange things going on, and we haven't had a real, at least coherent explanation of why Sturgeon has gone. I think there's a real possibility that the SNP could implode, because, um, to be frank, 
it exists for one purpose, as far as people in Scotland are concerned, and that is to lead Scotland to independence. A position, by the way, which I should say emotionally, I oppose. I mean, I, I came to, I, I, I'm British. I personally feel you know, a desire to keep Britain, mainland Britain, together. I wouldn't insist on it. I certainly wouldn't get a war over it. And if the Scottish people decide to secede, it's up it's up to them. But I would prefer Britain to remain united. But the anyway, the SNP existed to lead Scotland to independence. And Sturgeon didn't do that. She was there for a long time as Scottish First Minister. She clearly enjoyed her role as Scottish First Minister. She didn't govern Scotland especially well. I think gradually we're starting to see that. The economy didn't do well, the education levels. Scotland always had a better educational uh, record than England did, by the way. But that's that started to reverse. She didn't do especially well. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we had Sturgeon there as First Minister of Scotland the SNP became the establishment in Scotland. It's not really interested in achieving independence. It's becoming corrupt on the edges, perhaps not just the edges, you know, this £600,000 business. Um, what's the point of them then? <laughs> let's look for something else. Maybe let's go back to the establishment parties, Labour and Conservative. There's not much enthusiasm for those. Or perhaps we could look at Alba, which is this rival Scottish Nationalist Party led by the former SNP leader, Alex Salmond, who everybody knows does actually believe in independence for Scotland. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not an expert on Scottish politics. I don't have a feel for them as I do for politics in Westminster. But, you know, I can easily see personally why the SNP might implode. All right. James Johansson, thank you for that super sticker. Commander Crossfire says, Haydn rhetoric in Korea. Could we expect conflict to break out there? Perhaps another Ukraine situation there with China back in Korea against the US where they could draw them in close to them. We talked about Korea in we have, absolutely, about yeah. a week, week and a half ago. And we said, yeah, absolutely, yeah. keep an eye out for yeah. North Korea. Yeah, absolutely. And of course the Biden administration is showing zero interest in Korea even as North Korea becomes more powerful by the day, which it is. I mean, you know, it's got all these missiles now. It's got, it's able to strike the continental US with nuclear weapons. It can. And, you know, people may think there's, you know, American air defense systems. I mean, look at the struggle America had shooting down a balloon. <laughs> They're not going to be able to intercept North Korean intercontinental ballistic missiles. It can't be done, not if they're launched through North Korea. They might, I mean, they, they would need to reorient their defense system and focus on North Korea in a way that they have not done. And of course, they haven't engaged with North Korea. They don't talk to North Korea, as at least Donald Trump tried to do. And so North Korea is getting more powerful militarily. By the way, I'm hearing its economy has stabilised and is growing again. And of course, South Korea, understandably, is getting nervous. And the other thing that must be making the South Koreans increasingly nervous 
is that the United States isn't interested in the problem. It's focused instead monomaniacally on Ukraine, far away. So the South Koreans are saying, look, there's this major problem on our doorstep in North Korea. We don't know what the North Koreans are really up to, what they're thinking, what they might do. The US isn't interested. And that's why you see heightened rhetoric, increasingly fraught rhetoric from both sides. I can very easily see this thing spiraling out of control. And then what does Uncle Sleepy Joe do? Well, I another stupid thing. <laughs> yeah, you're going to say Uncle Joe. I, I call him Joe Bidenopolis. But, um, <laughs> but another stupid thing that that uh, that the Biden White House uh, did with their with their focus their singular mm. focus on Ukraine is is that mm. they they pushed Russia now to to open up uh, trade perhaps trade diplomatic relations yeah. with, with North Korea I mean yeah. before Russia Russia would say you know we're not going to to openly uh, deal with North Korea because of uh, of the issues that we know about but now Russia's is yeah. absolutely free to trade yeah. and to deal with North Korea including technology and and anything else that uh, that they want to do with North Korea. They don't need to worry yeah. about what the United States or the collective West will say or do. I mean, Precisely. Really dumb, dumb moves by the Biden White House by being so focused on Ukraine and, and breaking Russia, they're, they're not seeing the big picture. That's absolutely correct. I mean, the whole premise, I mean, it was, it was never a good premise, but the whole uh, premise of US policy towards North Korea was to try to isolate the country. And the idea was if you to isolate the country economically, you suffocate it, and that will eventually force the North Koreans, the North Korean leaders to come to terms on US terms. Now, that's never really worked because the Chinese weren't prepared to go that far. But it did have an effect on North Korea's economy, unquestionably. Now, of course, the Russians say, well, why should we play this game any longer? Doesn't hasn't done us good. We're the most sanctioned country on earth now. We're even more sanctioned than the North Koreans are. So the North Koreans now need food and they need fuel and they need technology. Well, we could supply it to them. And in return, North Korea is very rich in all kinds of useful minerals that we could work with. And they've got some extremely uh, skilled construction people. They're very good at that kind of thing. And we can have them working with us as well. And, you know, we can start rebuilding some of the economic links with, with them that we had in the past. And I'm not saying that's why North Korea's economy has stabilized and is recovering. But over time, it could eventually have a significant effect. The one thing that's holding the Russians back, I think, from, you know, re-establishing a full-throated relationship with North Korea is that the Russians actually have a reasonably good relationship with South Korea. So, I mean, that's... So they don't want to, you know, jeopardise that. But if you're thinking at... Looking at things from, you know, the perspective of the Kremlin, you could say, well, let's gradually strengthen the North Koreans in all kinds of different ways, because that gives us leverage over the South, over the South Koreans. And then since we've got good relations with the South Koreans, we might eventually be in a position to propose ourselves, if not as mediators exactly, as people who have 
you know, good relations and past communications between the two careers. And that has happened before. It was happening a couple of years ago. And it might happen again, but on a much bigger scale. And that's something that the Americans might not want. Yeah. The, the sanctioned countries are going to become more than the countries that are not sanctioned at the rate that we're going. I mean, the, the U.S. has just entered the, the sanctions escalator with China. I mean, China's on the sanctions ex escalator now, and it's just Absolutely. It's going way, way up now. And, yeah. you know, all the countries that are being sanctioned now are just going to come together and they're going to be like, you know, look, all of us are sanctioned. Great. Let's let's all do business. I mean, that, that's where we're heading exactly. towards, because yeah. they're, they're using sanctions to, to a level which is just just becoming laughable at this point. I mean, everyone is sanctioned. Everyone is Absolutely. sanctioned. Everybody's sanctioned. Exactly. I mean, I heard that, you know, the in the last years of the Trump administration, the last two years, they were announcing four new sanctions packages every day in various countries around the world. And I believe that's accelerated markedly since um, um, the new, you know, the new the, the, the Biden administration took over. Yeah, I, I remember when we did the video when uh, China first got on the, the sanctions escalator. Absolutely. And, yeah. and we said, that's it. Now that they're on the escalator, yeah. it's the only direction is up now. And sure that's enough, nice. that's exactly mm -hmm. where it's gone. Uh, Tabernak says, barbarians exposed, peace and progress for the win. Think about Tabernak. Yeah. And Stian Danielson says, dear Duran, is there any chance you can bring on John Mersheimer for an interview? He is remarkable. Well, there's a thought. I mean, that is indeed a thought, yeah. actually. I mean, I gather his uh, original video, his program on Ukraine has now got something like 24 million views or something like this. Even the Financial Times has now had to issue a rebuttal to it. Well, you know, maybe. That would, yeah, would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Commando Crossfire says, Russia announced moon landing by midsummer this year. Putin laid out major social improvements and infrastructure projects. The country marches on. Absolutely, yeah. And... Uh, um, that's absolutely right. That's exactly what he did. I mean, again, you've got a sense of optimism. <laughs> again, just as the Chinese are looking optimistic, so are the Russians. Yeah. Uh, Sanjeva says, sorry for the long post. I rewatched the videos Duran made about Russia, Russian political scene at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, the that and subsequent mismanagement during the Soviet Union explains the rust that set in the economy and how it destroyed Russia which was there for world to see during the 90s. Hence, mm. his reluctance to go to war or to extend war. Their priority is a competitive economy. I think this needs to be taken into account when we predict what and how far Russia is willing to go to Ukraine. What do you think? The, this is exactly correct. The Russians are very historically minded and they will not go up. They, I mean, you know, this idea that they're intent on taking over Europe or taking over the world is, is complete fantasy. They are very well aware of the limits of their own power. They're very well aware of the risks of overextension. They're very well aware of the mistakes that the Soviets made. In fact, Putin talked about them in his... Um, in his State of the Nation address, he talked about the way in which the Soviet economy had become structured and the imbalances and problems that it accumulated. So they, they are not going to make those mistakes again. They've been there. They've done that. They're not going there again. And they remember the 90s. And they remember what an absolute nightmare they were. And they've no intention of finding themselves in that sort of place again. Yeah. 
Al 59 says, I hear the U.S. military won't extend any help to Ukraine bef- beyond this, this summer. I think this is probably true. And it is in accord with what Alex and I have talked about. But of course, we have to say this. And I mean, you know, it's a word of caution. There's never been an official announcement to that effect. And if we get to midsummer and the war is still ongoing, which probably will be, and if the Russians are advancing, if the neocons are still there, if Victoria Newland and Jake, Jake Sullivan and all that crowd are still in the White House, they will start pushing back against any decision the military have made. And they will say, you know, we've got to come to Ukraine's help. We can't let Ukraine lose, that this would be a betrayal of Ukraine, it would be a betrayal of the United States. So it's more likely than not in that case that you'd see a major political battle starting to shape up. So don't think this is a done thing. I think you're probably right. I think the military in the Pentagon have said, look, we'll go along with you up to the summer. If you can't go on beyond that, you know, that's it. But... Sullivan, Newland, Blinken, even Biden himself might not take that as final. Yeah. From uh, Choir Boy Whitworth says, how likely is it that South Korea breaks with the West and joins China against them? It's not impossible. I mean, I, I, I think that the South Koreans would be very reluctant to break entirely with the West. But you can see a situation where they might become equidistant between the US and China and perhaps uh, seek some kind of accommodation with the North, looking to the Russians and the Chinese to try to broker it. It is not impossible. I mean, I've written about this. China is now South Korea's biggest trade partner. And um, South Korea has, as I said, good relations with Russia. And it senses that the US is losing interest in what's going on in the Korean Peninsula. I mean, Trump was very interested and engaged in what was going on in the Korean Peninsula. He made a real effort to try to find a way forward there. Um, He was sabotaged by John Bolton, who he was unwise enough to appoint as his national security advisor. But at least he took the region very seriously. Biden is interested in it. I mean, he's not, he doesn't care about it. I mean, he's, as I said, his, his gaze is totally fixed on Ukraine. And it's not impossible. You know, I was talking about, you know, the Russians applying leverage. The Chinese arguably have even more leverage. And they could do that. They could say to the South Koreans, well, you know, come along. The Americans aren't interested in you. Kim Jong-un is getting more powerful. You don't really want a war in the Korean Peninsula, which would destroy the Korean nation. Why don't you do a deal with us? We can provide you with security guarantees. We can arrange some kind of deal with you in the north. We can we can force our will on the north in the way that the United States can't. So you should be talking to us rather than to the Americans. And at the moment, I don't think that's what the South Koreans are going to do. But eventually they might. Yeah. The Biden White House doesn't care about anything else going on, no. either in, in the United States or outside the United States, except for no. Ukraine. And I would say both parties, both the Democrats and the Republicans, are pretty much um, in, in that type of Ukraine mindset. 
And, yes. and that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for uh, a lot of countries to do all kinds of different things. Correct. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, the U.S. is so they're so absorbed with Ukraine that that there's all kinds of change is going to is going to happen. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Biden is absolutely fixated, fixated the Biden White House. They're fixated mm -hmm. on uh, on Ukraine. Yeah. They've been warned about this. I mean, at the Munich Security Conference, a string of countries came along and said, you know, you, 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 you're blinkered because you're looking only in one direction. That's at Ukraine. But of course, West wasn't interested. From Commander Crossfire, given recent talking points from Russia and China, should we expect Russia to liberate the whole of Ukraine or will they force regime change only? We don't know. But Medvedev today was talking about marching all the way to the Polish border. But, you know, we don't know. And um, I suspect that the Kremlin is reviewing its policy options every day. <laughs> They're probably looking at the situation. They're watching what's going on in Kiev. They're watching what's going on in the rest of Ukraine. They're looking at what the West is going to do. And I don't think they've got a fixed policy at the moment. That's my own view. I think they will take what comes and adapt their policy to what comes. Yeah. Incognito Bandito says, did you, did you guys know Rishi Sunak is putting all his time and energy into digital IDs with his wife's company building the software for it, along with the WEF? His wife is already a billionaire. Rishi Sunak could potentially become very powerful. Yes. I didn't know it. Um, not that you'd find out much about it from the British media, because that's the one part of Sunak's policies that doesn't attract very much attention. It's really remarkable, actually, when Tony Blair came up with something similar 20 years ago, whenever it was, there was a lot, there was a big outcry. But now, of course, everybody goes, you know, looks the other way. They're not concerned. It's not a problem anymore. Um, yeah. But there we go. That's That's politics in Britain for you. Sparky says, could North and South Korea work out a gradual reunification over a number of years? Yes. I mean, we, we, we danced around this. I mean, when we talk about reunification, I mean, to be very clear, I mean, combining North, the North and the South, you know, it's, it really would be a case of mixing, you know, fire and ice. I mean, they're completely different societies now um there is a korean nation however and there's definitely an aspiration for reunification on both sides and i think that perhaps some kind of you know one state to you know, in one nation to two you know systems might be found though i can't imagine it would be a very stable one but you know who knows yeah Elza says, I quote, Biden came to Europe to give Putin an ultimatum, but left with Russia pausing in the New START treaty. What would you say, gentlemen? You may be very, you may very well be right. I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, can I just say, I, I would suggest that Alex did a really brilliant video, in my opinion, about Biden and his trip. It was the weirdest trip I've ever seen a US president make. I mean, I just... I, I, I mean, I, I <laughs> cannot analyze it. I mean, it's it's impossible. His speeches no, are I, worse than Obama's. I mean, you've no, mentioned no, how well, how you would how you would spend hours trying to to find some sort of message or or, or something of yeah. substance in an Obama speech. Yeah, I, mean, I think Biden's speeches are 
are ten times oh, worse. They're way, worse. they're way way worse. I mean, Obama for whatever else. I mean, he was a he had a kind of brain. I mean, he knew what he was doing. I mean, he was he was shifty and evasive, and his words were you're absolutely right, very opaque. But I mean, he he knew what he was doing with with Biden. I mean, it's just it's just. I mean, it's just just a few. If you if you look at the speeches on a page, it's just a few little clip sentences, one after the other. They don't even follow <laughs> logically one from the other. It's it's it, it's very strange. So as I said, I mean, I couldn't really work on this. I couldn't say to myself, "What is this man trying to tell us?" I just couldn't find anything. And maybe you're right. Maybe he did come with the intention of making some, you know, grand statement to the Russians, some, you know, ultimatum, some threats and throw down some challenge. Maybe that was the idea. I mean, we're told this trip was planned some months ago. So it might have been planned around the time of the Kharkov and Kherson offensives. And maybe the intention was, the expectation was that, you know, after the great victories in those offensives, they'd be followed up with further great victories. And, the you know, Joe would come to Kiev, announce victory, set the conditions down to Putin, something of that kind. And, of course, that never happened. So he was left with nothing to say. But whatever, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, this is pure speculation based on your question. I don't ultimately know. Because those speeches were the weirdest speeches any U.S. president has ever given that I have read. Yeah, Miss Texas G says Biden is an absent-minded, absent mean old man who has no depth and he reads cue cards. Absolutely. That's entirely correct characterization. Robert uh, Jarava says, please interview Jordan Peterson. Much more perspective to offer than Chomsky. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would, would, that would I, be like great to, to, to interview him. It's it, it's hard to it's hard to to get these uh, people these exactly people we on the show. Yeah, we they're, try. They're, they're very tough to to get. Uh, Rock mm. Rockabilly, thank you for that super chat. Tony Hiltonen, welcome to Drag Community Club. Seven Four Seven says, would the citizens of Transnistria help the Russian army in case of a Ukrainian attack? Well. <laughs> Yes, but you've got to understand that there are only 400 Russian soldiers in Transnistria. The, the military contingent is theoretically bigger. It's about 1,500 men, but you know that's already not so big. And, but most of them are local people who've been enlisted. The actual cadre that's you know, from the Russian regular military is only 400 men. So there's a limit to what they could do. Um, if... There's a deal done between Sandu, the Romanian, the Moldovan president, and Zelensky, which leads to the Ukrainian military going into Transnistria. The Russian forces there can't really realistically do very much. Perhaps the Russians can do more. I mean, the Russian Ministry of Defense gave a very, very strong warning. And of course, they could launch missiles and do all kinds of things. And they could perhaps blow up this warehouse with, you know, which would cause a huge explosion and all those sorts of things. So, you know, we mustn't discount that. But I don't think what is deterring the Ukrainians from launching this attack and Sandu from requesting it is, is military. I think it's the politics of this, because, of course, if 
Ukraine marches into Moldova in that kind of way, then Moldova becomes part of the Ukraine war. And if the Russians reach uh, Odessa and all that, you know, it becomes much more likely that they'll push further west. And I think this is probably what's holding everybody back at the moment. Yeah. Ricardo Alfonso says desperation is really setting in now. Even Canada, there is talk about maybe rolling back some sanctions. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Alex says, for the West, it was never about Putin, but always about Russia's supposed audacity, staying a sovereign federation. Yes, you're completely right. I mean, Putin is a metonym. They like to talk about Putin all the time, but they really mean Russia. Yeah. <coughs> RD says, did neocons initiate a chain of events in BRICS, assuming dominoes? Next is India, London funded Pakistan, ISI fake farmer protests and reviving terrorism in Punjab, drugs and arms via drones and yeah. police interference via, via a political interference via Soros ecosystem. That is exactly what I think the neocons want to do. I mean, that's how the neocons think. You know, you're either with us 100% or you're against us. And if we're against us, well, we've got all these little tools that we use and we're going to try and use them against you. What they're going to do... What they're going to do in places like India and Pakistan is that they're going to turn the, the people of those countries totally against them and against the United States. So Modi, Prime Minister of India, who's now clearly the target of a Soros-inspired colour revolution, US, CIA, whatever it is, attempt, he now says to himself, well, you know, I tried to work with the Americans. I've not had particularly good relations with China in the past. But ultimately, it's the Americans who are trying to overthrow me, not the Chinese. So maybe, maybe, despite all our historic quarrels, um, I should seek a deal with the Chinese and reinsure myself with them against the Americans. So you can see what happens. Instead of the neocons getting what they want, they're pushing everybody else together. Yeah, let's see. Um, Odyssey, Odyssey questions. Is South Korean military subordinate to America? I was led to believe that the South Korean military falls under the control of America in an agreement in a time of war. I'm sure that is true. But of course, I don't know to what extent it would be true in peacetime. And as I said, if there was a decision made in South Korea, to seek peace. And, I, you know, this is all very speculative. We're not there yet. But if there was, I, I don't know what the South Korean army would do and whether they would. I, I mean, I think your suggestion is they might intervene to stop it. I doubt that they would. I should say I've been to South Korea. This was many years ago now, about 20 years ago. I was very, very impressed by the country. I was very, very impressed by the people. I find them deeply patriotic. I found them very hardworking. Um, you know, there's this cliche, but it's a true one. Um, highly educated, very well informed. I, I think that that probably extends to sections of the military as well. I think if the people of South Korea, if the government of South Korea took a policy, changed, changed their policy and sought peace, some kind of peace with the North, working with China and Russia, I think personally that the military would go along with it. Yeah. Um, Make Make Straight says, question, do you think that Trump will play golf on the paper moon? I don't know. You must ask him. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris says Poland is so divided. 90% of our media outlets are owned by German companies with cynical agendas. Our history mm. teaches sovereignty, yet some want more EU. Yeah, I know it is. You're quite right. Um, I know lots of people from Poland um, in London. I mean, lots of people. I know, you know, people who were uh, here from, you know, before the e Poland joined the EU, people who've got roots in Britain, but uh, who might even have been born in Britain, but who still feel a very powerful connection to Poland. And I know people from Poland. And I think that, again, it's an underestimated country. I think this is a much, much more interesting debates going on in Poland than people understand. And I think a lot of people in Poland understand the perils and the risks um, involved in the kind of strategies that the Biden administration is trying to impose on them. The neocons are trying to impose on them. And I think they can see through their media. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Popa says, would it would be great if you could get Roger Waters on the show? <laughs> I do. Our oh, he watches us as he's pointed that, out. That would be that would be fantastic. Another brick in the wall. I see another comment mm -hmm. underneath saying another brick in the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be great. Uh Ricey says, please do a clown world to end the stream and have a good day. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll try to remember. We might do a clown world. The, the, did you see the NATO post on uh Twitter, Alexander? Absolutely, of course I did. Of course I did. I mean, I have to say, I mean, Harry you say Potter, you, Star Wars. I don't, I don't. You know. You know. You know. I mean, you clown world. I mean, you know. I. I, I mean. I mean. And that's the official account. And that's the official one. It's not even. A, I mean, it's not yet. I know. It's not. We're not even parodying. I mean, these people are beyond. Are becoming beyond parody themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, so, I, someone yeah, I was, greenlit that. Someone said, yeah, yeah, publish that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Commander Crossfire says, Canada is making changes to our assisted self-deletion to now allow for children as young as 10 years old without parental consultation. We're in a dark place. I've heard all kinds of terrible things coming out of Canada. They're so terrible that I'm finding it very difficult to, to read about them anymore. I haven't heard that one, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad says, love you guys. Thank you, Breaking Bad, for that. And from Can Surplus, will Russia ever call NATO's bluff and retaliate militarily outside of Ukraine for crossing red lines, or is the West too dangerous and unpredictable. I don't know what the Russians are going to do, but I think that their um, analysis, and, you know, these are, we, we should understand this must be, in some ways, a difficult thing because the provocations are so great. But I think they're probably saying to themselves, look, the West is constantly trying to provoke us. It's tr constantly trying to goad us into doing something that's reckless and which might open the way for NATO to do something itself against us. We don't need to do it. We are making progress in Ukraine. Ultimately, our best response to anything the West does to us is to win in Ukraine, which we are doing. So let's not fall for these provocations. I think that's the calculation. But of course, you know, you, you can be provoked too far. And 
there may come a point where somebody in the West does something just too zany and too dangerous, and the Russians finally say enough. And then, of course, my guess is that the Russians probably can outmatch or at least match anything that NATO can throw on, throw at them. And again, that the neocon calculation that, you know, the West can overwhelm the Russians will be proved to be horribly wrong. The neocons get everything wrong. Yeah. Tage Atval, welcome to the, to the direct community. Stan Littman says, she praised democratists as atomic theory. Thrace is the Russian Caucasian science of friendship right okay <laughs> thank you for that uh Ricis says is gonzalo lira available to join the chat is gonzalo in the chat if he is uh let me know and i'll send him a link absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely we, we got to get gonzalo on a, on a live stream soon i mm -hmm. i agree uh sam whiskey says how will ukraine pay off the war debt it won't. I mean, people can lend Ukraine money. Um, are kissing the money, kissing it's their gone. money. Goodbye. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. I mean, uh, was, know, was, was, yeah. What do they say? Yeah. A fool is always parted from his money. Anybody who gives Ukraine money yeah. is a fool. Well, yeah. Our taxpayer money is gone. Absolutely. Yeah. For them, the money that they're giving to Ukraine is going to return back, of back to the people of that course. are giving it out. They're of making course. a good investment. Personally, they're making no. a good investment. It's, it's the taxpayers that, well, True. we're losing our money. Waskisgo says, will you invite economist Michael Hudson on the Duran? Yeah, we got to get yes. Michael Hudson on. Yeah, we absolutely do. And uh, that, I mean, we've we've uh, considered this before. We will definitely get on to that. Yeah, we got to we got to get him on. It's 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 hard it's hard work getting people on. It really is. Yes, it is. Uh, Sam Whiskey says, oh no, I think we did Sam Whiskey's, how will Ukraine pay off the war debt? Mm -hmm. E.M. Henriquez says, the West logic, to be able to put out the fire, we, sh we should add more wood to it to save the house, to save the house of further damage. Good day. I think you should have a word with Jens Stoltenberg because that is such good sense that uh, he needs to listen to it. He won't pay any attention, but you know, I, I, you, I couldn't put it better. Yeah. Um, Jack Ridley, thank you for the super sticker. Ricardo Alfonso says, if Wagner is like an unofficial foreign legion, possibly that they will be used for non-official activities, a reboot of of Smersh, perhaps? Sm well, Smersh? yeah, absolutely. But, the, but, but they are already being used for non-official activities. I mean, they're able to send people from Wagner to all sorts of places in Africa, for example. And then they can always come around. The Russians can always say, well, you know, this is, you know, this is the private military company. It's <laughs> them you should talk to. You know, this isn't something we've authorized. Of course, they're, they're not being, shall we say, entirely honest when they say that. But that's what they do. And, you know, for all I know, you know, Wagner might start providing services like that. I would hope not. But... This is the real world, and that kind of thing does happen, and it might happen with Wagner. I hope not, but there we are. Yeah, uh, DJC says, this article brings forward several new ideas we should be aware of percolating in the global south. And there's a link to an article. I'll, I'll send you the article, Alexander, Fine. that uh, right. was dropped in Locals. Uh, Blues, Blues Note says, the Congress and Senate are completely deboshed there. Their divisive Hegelian dialectic two-party system is not supported by anything in the Constitution. Cultural Marxism in the universities and fiat banking system have been 
wreaking havoc on the nation that does not resemble what our forefathers gave us. The thread, our Second Amendment stalls them. We're the only ones who can right this disgusting government. Well, I, I, you know, you, you express yourself emotionally, but I fundamentally agree with what you say. I mean, I wouldn't express it in that kind of way. But it is undoubtedly the case that the political class, the uni party, if you like, you can call it by many names, has departed increasingly from the concept of the United States that set out in the Constitution and which was conceived as it was conceived by the founders. And that's a fact. I mean, you only have to read the Constitution to see that for yourself. It's not a difficult document to read. In fact, it is incredibly clear. Yeah. Commander Crossfire says, aren't the neocons correct on going after Russia first, going after China first with a strong Russia backing them would be utterly pointless? I think that is true. And in up to, up to a certain point in that I think that um, the you know, going after Russia, you know, Russia is the weaker party. China is the stronger party. So you want to go after the weaker party before you go after the stronger one and you deprive China of Russia's resources. You can see the kind of the kind of thinking. But I think what people like Ludwig are probably saying and not just Ludwig, um, Josh Hawley, um, Ron DeSantis, those sorts of people, what they're saying is, look, we're bogged down in Ukraine. This whole thing was all about weakening Russia. It's not weakening Russia. It's weakening us. We're becoming overabsorbed in this thing. Our weapons supplies are becoming depleted. Meanwhile, China is getting stronger. So, you know, let's let's stop this because it's not working out in the way the neocons said it would. And let's instead focus on our primary adversary, which is China. And that's where we need our weapons to go. You know, we need our weapons to go to the Pacific, not to this uh, sideshow side theatre in Europe. So I think that's that's the argument that's taking place. I mean, you know, and, and you know, you could see that, that that makes more logic, actually. No, I just, I, I want to add that, you know, going after Russia is also not so much geopolitical, political yeah. or strategic either. There's there's people who are going after Russia because this is like a life's work, you know, like a Newland yeah. or, or people like that, or even a yeah. Biden. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people that feel like uh, Russia ruined their game in Ukraine. There's a lot of politicians that, that are very upset that uh, that Russia stepped into Ukraine because they had a good thing going on from a, yeah. from a monetary perspective. And then you have people like Newland, who for them, this is a life's work. This is very emotional. Yes. It's a very, I, there's a lot of ideology tied into it. Ursula, uh, Newland, uh, Freeland, for all these people, their mission in life is to destroy Russia. So yes. it, a, lot of, a lot of things are not even political or strategic or geopolitical. I mean, that is just people that true. have a bone to pick with Russia. Yeah, That is completely true. That is, um, that is exactly right. Commando Crossfire says, any update on the war in Yemen? Any word on it? You know, there is, this is the thing. It, Ukraine is draining folk attention away from all of these other conflicts. My understanding is the war in Yemen continues unabated. There was a lot of talk a few months ago, a year ago, that, you know, that MBS was trying to find some way of um, 
tamping it down, but it hasn't happened. And that the war goes on unabated in Yemen um, and the Houthis continue to gain ground very slowly, very incrementally, but they do. And that's what I understand the situation in Yemen is at the moment. From uh, Tyler Durden, Trump and then Musk attacked Newland this week. This comes after the pipeline revelations. Is this is this consolidated move against neocons? I hope so. I'm not absolutely sure, but I hope so. Uh, by the way, can I just say, I mean, Newland was very busy yesterday again. I and mean, she was making all kinds of statements. And damage you know, if you control. follow them, damage control. Absolutely. Sorry, da damage control. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but. Uh, no, Alexander, no, but yeah, you're uh, absolutely right. You don't. Elon you Musk, Elon Musk tweeting about Newland. I mean, it brings mm. a lot of attention to Newland. And yeah. I don't think yes. she likes operating with the spotlight no. on her. I think she prefers to remain kind of in the shadows. That's my hunch. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Absolutely. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, for one thing, bear in mind about Newland, she exercises enormous power, but she's not elected. <laughs> she's never held elected office as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Trump calling her out is one thing, but Musk calling her out. I mean, I think that's a, mm -hmm. I mean, that's someone who's not, he's not a politician. He's not in the political scene. He's not running for president, but he says that Newland is, is, uh, is responsible for the for the war pretty much that's what he said for escalation yes. it's it's a yes. big a big tweet chris says as an american i want the uk to remain our closest ally in the long term but it seems necessary to wean off each other's bad influences to preserve the reputation of our respective historical legacies i completely agree and i i i, I wish that your wise words could be heard by more people in london because you're totally correct. This relationship that we evolved, that has evolved over the last 30 years is bringing out the worst in each country. It really is. I mean, the, the British are influencing America in the worst possible way. And the same, to some extent, is happening with the increasing influence of the neocons in London. Yeah, Ricardo Alfonso says, the loss of their empire also led to fascism in Spain, Portugal, uh, as well as the colonial machine. Yeah, I think we themselves. talked about that. We, we talked about we that, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for that, <laughs> uh, Ricardo. Uh, Jer Jeremiah says, who is going to buy this exploding US debt? China seems to be dumping, Fed largest holder now. Yeah, absolutely. One reason why interest rates are probably rising in the US, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, they have to <laughs> provide yields for people to buy the debt. I mean, you know, bear that in mind. Yeah, G-Dog 2K2 says, is the U.S. goal to get back to plundering a Putin-free Russia? How can there be a peace plan? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to say something, by the way, about that. I think there are differences between the Europeans and the Americans, and that I think that some Americans would want to plunder, get, get involved in the plunder of Russia. But the main focus for that kind of thinking less perhaps of the, you know, the grand geopolitics, but for the actual straightforward plunder, is European. The Europeans were very keen on getting their hands on Russian resources. I mean, that was what the EU's third energy package was all about. It was all about, as they said, diversifying, you know, things upstream. In other words, breaking up Russian companies like Gazprom and Rosneft getting European companies involved, in other words, turning Russia into a kind of raw materials hinterland 
for the for the Europeans. So I think that's exactly what they would do. And I can remember the 90s very well. And a lot of people in London especially did very well out of Russia in the 90s, perhaps more than in the US. Sanjeeva says regime change in India and then they will get Indian Congress Party or Communist parties who are way more pro-Russia than BJP. Quite true. Good well, point. the BJ, very good point. I mean, the BJP, of course, to the extent that there's a pro-American party in Ameri in India, that was historically the BJP. But there we go. Yeah. Uh, Michael Yurik, thank you for that super sticker. Moon Dragon says, do you think NATO is taking more on than it can chew? They can't win the war, but but if they step in, then it's nuclear. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think they are taking on a lot more than they can chew. And I think they're gradually discovering that. And it's one of the reasons for the panic that Alex has been talking about. Yeah. Golden Silence says, please get Sophia Tesfamarian, Eritrea UN permanent representative. I've heard of her. Yeah. And I think she's quite an interesting person. Yes. Why not? Yes, if we, we can. Try. But as I said, remember, time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Michael Wynn, thank you for that super chat. Ricardo Alfonso says, notice how Western projection keeps boomeranging. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's very good, actually. But it does. You're quite right. Because yeah. one of the reasons it boomerangs is that none of these projects are ever thought through. They can't be thought through because they're devised in secret. They, there isn't a proper public debate about them experts real experts aren't involved in them people don't see how unrealistic and crazy they are and of course the western publics aren't really behind them so the result is they're half-baked always and they boomerang and as you correctly say then what happens is the projection comes in Atno Sen says ousting newland would strike a key blow to the neocons well, absolutely i could a huge blow yeah if yeah. if that were to happen if she was to be sacked, I mean, or forced to resign, then that would be the first real sign that there's a change, a shift in, uh, a real shift away from the neocons in the US. Remember that her husband, Robert Kagan, is essentially the, you know, the high priest of the neocon movement. Yeah. Danielle says, what will the collapse of the EU potentially look like? Nations dumping the euro and using their own currency, likely chaos. Who will own the EU debt? Who will own? Nobody will. I suspect that everybody will repudiate it, and anybody who's left holding it is going to find themselves in a very, very uh, awkward position of holding worthless paper. And that will probably discredit the whole enterprise forever. Yeah. I don't think it would be that chaotic. That's just my hunch. No, I, I agree with that, tells actually. Me no. The sun's going to rise like it always does every morning and Absolutely. countries will Absolutely. just move on. Yeah. Absolutely. Ricardo Alfonso says, by the way, I highly recommend Angry Warhawks channel. Yes. Angry yes. Warhawks. I think we've, has a very I good think we've spoken yeah, I think we've spoken about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We all agree. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, Sarah Weriner says, Can you picture Blinken telling Newland she is fired? It would actually probably be the other way around. <laughs> Newland would probably be firing Blinken. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine him doing it unless he's pushed into doing it, which is not impossible. I mean, you know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I can remember, you know, as a sort of teenager sitting and watching on television, uh, you know, the broadcast in which Richard Nixon 
announced that he was firing his two key aides, Haldeman and Ehrlichman. So it can happen, you know, but it, that was in the middle of the water, Watergate crisis. Um, Nixon's back was against the wall. It would need to be something like that before Biden was able to do that. And if Biden sacks Newland, you can say also he's on his way out. Yeah. Bob says, look up whistleblower good day on your locals. Okay. We'll do whistleblower good day. Uh, Sparky says, great to see the Duran. Great work. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sparky. Uh, Baba Yaga says, can you give your opinion on my question above? <coughs> Baba Yaga, I'm looking for that question. Mm. I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it, Baba Yaga. Mm. I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Mm. Don't worry. Uh, Monica says, Stalin always linked North Korea to Berlin. Pressure on one affected the other. Is this what we are beginning to see? Possibly. I mean, I think the Russians don't, they're not, they don't play this kind of game that Stalin to some extent did at the end of the Cold War. I, I think that they wouldn't perhaps use that kind of leverage in exactly that sort of way. Like also Khrushchev did to some extent in the early 60s when you know he was trying to leverage Cuba to put pressure on the West in Berlin. I don't think the Russians today would work quite like that. But, you know, perhaps something like that might come back. Yeah. Uh, Wayne Hall says, what will happen first? The U.S. out communists the former USSR or Russia out democracy, the USA? <laughs> um, I'm not going to try and guess that. Hmm. Uh, Ricardo Alfonso says, bring on Seymour Hirsch. Absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Herman says, any news regarding Transnistria? Well, lots of news, very little precise information. I mean, the Moldovan government is denying as we speak, that there's going to be an attack on Transnistria from Ukraine. Who knows? There's said to be large concentrations of Ukrainian troops in, in the area. Um, we have been here before, was talked about previously, and eventually the Ukrainians were told to back off. Because, and who knows, maybe it'll be the same again. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Um... Uh, Graugak1001, thank you for that super chat. Carl Stand, welcome to the Dran community. Bob Wildfish says, have you read the John Mark Dugan whistleblower letter about Nord Stream? It came out shortly after the incident. Post it on your locals. Yes, we have. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, Van Hawk Wong, saying, thank you for that super chat. Uh, John M22 says, is there an opportunity for the Korean War to finally end, denuclearize and reunify with security guarantees from China and Russia and evicting the U.S. Yeah, I think we discussed this. I think, yes, possibly. But, I mean, you know, don't don't expect it to happen tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. This would be a very, very protracted thing. And, of course, it's important to stress that South Korea remains very connected to the U.S. for the moment. And I think the South Koreans would be very, very unwilling to just break with the U.S. But, you know, it's not impossible. If the choice became that or being abandoned by the US uh, uh, in a way that might put the future of South Korea and of the Korean nation in jeopardy. Well, you know, the South Koreans might decide to go down that route. It's not impossible. 
Yeah. Um, Baba Yaga, if you can write the in the chat, write the question. I can't, I can't seem to find it, but just put it into the chat right now, like the next minute or two, and and I'll uh, I'll flag it. Uh, Red Z says, "Is Ukraine an Obama era deep state puppet?" Yes. <laughs> what, 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 what to say? Yeah. Uh, Mobius Zero says, "Will Japan ever break away from the U.S. or will Japan follow the U.S. into oblivion?" Well, can I just say this? I think at some point uh, Japan probably will break away from the U.S. It's an ancient civilization. It's a very ancient country. I can't believe that it will remain for the rest of its existence in a state of vassalage to the U.S. But when that will happen and how, I don't know. Sparky says, if Russia doesn't leave Ukraine as a country, instead reabsorbing it into Russia, they won't need to worry about appointing a puppet government. I'm sure that there are a lot of people in Moscow who are saying exactly this. Um, I don't know what the debates in Russia are, however. As I hear, thank you for that super chat. Uh, Carl Stan, thank you for that super chat. Irish Partisan, do you see the conflict escalating to include Moldova? Yes, it's entirely possible. It's, it's, it's very likely indeed. I don't say that it's a certainty, uh, at least not yet, but it could very easily happen. I mean, I, I, I'm going to make a guess. The decision isn't going to be made in Kiev, and it's certainly not going to be made in Kishinev. It's going to be made in Washington, and I'm sure there's a debate going on. At this moment in time, the neocons probably do want an intervention by Ukraine in Moldova. Um, they're probably worried about the political situation in Moldova, there's probably other people, maybe in the military again, amongst the more you know responsible people who are saying, we mustn't do this. It will enlarge the war. It will create a situation where Moldova, in effect, becomes involved in the war. And if Odessa falls, which probably at some point it will, then there's nothing to prevent the Russian army from moving further west into Moldova as well. And do we really want that? So I suspect that debate is raging in Washington, even as we're speaking. Hmm. Oh, okay, here it is, Baba Yaga. Putin has stated there have been red lines. NATO crosses these red lines with no response. When will Russia make these people pay for the constant escalation and the use of American and NATO weapons to strike Russia proper? I, th I thought we'd answer this question, actually. I said, you know, that the Russians probably say to, are saying to themselves, let's not be provoked into doing something that, you know, might get out of control, escalate out of hand. Why, why should we? After all, we are winning. We're winning in Ukraine. Our biggest red line was over Ukraine. The West crossed it. We're responding. We are winning. Ultimately, our best and most complete response is to win in Ukraine, and that should be our priority. So I think that's what's the policy in Moscow at the moment. But as I also said, it could be, it might just be, that the West does something that is so provocative that the Russians feel they can't ignore it and they might be driven to respond in which case we get into an escalation crisis like we've not seen up to now. Yeah. Commander Crossfire says Matt gets called for U.S. troops out of Syria. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Life of I Brian mean, you know, says... there, are, there, there, are, there are some sensible people mm -hmm. 
There are some sane people in the United States, in the Congress, in the political system, which is more than you see in Europe at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Life of Brian says Trudeau's acts have been ratified by corrupt inquiries. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, same, uh, the, same, the same happens in Britain, by the way. I mean, I remember some year, about 10 years, 15 years ago, uh, Tony Blair was investigated because he allegedly, in fact, in actuality, sold honours to put together a, fund, a fighting fund for the 2015 election. And the police interviewed him and, you know, told afterwards and nothing was found. There was no reason to be concerned and he was completely let off. So, you know, inquiries like that happen in Canada and they happen in Britain. And that's yeah, the Viva way Frey, things are. Yeah, Viva mm. Frey has been doing a great job uh, covering the everything yeah. going on with, with Trudeau and, and, yeah. and all of that. I mean, he's doing a yes. really, really good job. Uh, Mobius Zero says, why is the Japanese government so foolish? Do they realize what countries like China and North Korea can do to it? Do they want Japan to go extinct? It seems Japan has a death wish. <laughs> Well, I hope not. I mean, I think ultimately, as I said, Japan will come through. But I, I can also, to some extent, understand why Japan is taking the kind of line that it is. Like it's the same, in some ways, a little like Poland. They see this colossus on their doorstep, China. They've had a very, very tough history with China in the past. And they say to themselves, well... We don't really want to be left alone with the Chinese to deal with the Chinese by ourselves. So we need the Americans. And that is why we stay so close to the Americans. But eventually, perhaps just possibly, they will make the same calculation that you're saying. They will say to themselves, well, look, in fact, getting so close to the Americans isn't buying us security. It's buying us danger. Yeah, Sparky says Jordan Peterson got his Ukraine info and attitude from Victoria Newland's husband. Yeah, I know Robert Kagan. Yeah, Golden Silence says, why didn't the UN demand for Ethiopia to leave Eritrean land that was occupied for eighteen years? Why don't the UN demand for Israel to leave the Golden Heights, Golan Heights, and occupy lands of Palestine? UN, unserious oh. body. Are you? I take it these are rhetorical questions because, of course, the short answer is that the, the reason uh, the UN didn't do any of these things is because that didn't accord with the policies of the great powers that ultimately control it. I mean, we shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't sentimentalize the UN and assume it to be something better than it actually is. I mean, there's the UN Charter, which is important and is the foundation of international law. And international law does matter. But the UN itself is, of course, ridden with hypocrisy and double dealing and all that kind of thing. It doesn't mean it doesn't. It isn't important because it is the place where the great powers talk to each other, where they speak, where they conduct negotiations, where you can get a sense of where international opinion is going. But don't expect consistency from it. You're not going to get it. Elena Diaz says, I think it was Lavrov who said there was a country in Africa that learned out that that learned that learned out that Pushkin was French. What do you think about it? One of Russia's most beloved poets. Uh, Maria Zakharova tweeted that as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't know the country that. in Af Africa, no, though. That's... No, I haven't. I, I, I will say this. I, I mean, you know, Pushkin's great-grandfather, I think it was his great-grandfather, was African. And it was for a long time assumed he came from Ethiopia. But a very, very um, helpful person wrote to me about this and provided me with all the latest, um, um, all the latest um, academic studies. And it seems that he probably came from uh, the area around Brazzaville, in uh, near the near the Congo, another completely different part of Africa. And he was, uh, and that, of course, is a French-speaking region. So maybe maybe there's some connection there. I mean, I don't quite understand, but possibly. Agadozde says, America's dirty laundry in Ukraine is too numerous and must disappear one way or another, even if Ukraine has to. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. Elena Diaz says, do you know something about how the fly ban over Russia is affecting the European travel industry? That's a very good question. No, I don't. But I can imagine it affects it profoundly because, of course, they're effectively cut off from... Um, flights to the Far East. I mean, it must be, I'm, I'm sure it is at the moment, um, entirely done now through East Asian carriers. My brother-in-law lives in the Far East. He lives in Singapore. And he was recently visited us in London. And I noticed that he flew Singapore Air. Uh, Akali says, looking back through history, Japan have attacked, invaded China five times. It's not the right time but i'm sure japan is using the u.s to attack china and then it will step forward don't underestimate i i think you're, i'm sure that's right but of course it's a reckless policy it's a little bit like poland again <laughs> the idea that they can somehow achieve their long historic objectives not through their own strength which isn't great enough but by trying to get the americans to do it for them it's a it's folly it's folly for Poland. It will be folly for Japan. And I hope one day Japanese leaders understand that. Ricardo Alfonso says, FYI, Moldova's military is the size of Toronto's police force. They may have some <laughs> issues with power projection. They might indeed. Hmm. Very good point. Uh, Paulina says, what's your, what, what are your views on Kazakhstan being a potential obstacle for Russia-China relationship and also Kazakhstan currently increasing oil trade with the EU? I don't think this is a problem. Uh, um, Tokayev, who's the EU-Kazakh leader, seems to be uh, uh, speaking to Putin, you know, practically, you know, several times a month now. Um, and I suspect a lot of that oil that's coming from Kazakhstan to the EU is really Russian oil. <laughs> that's that's my guess, actually. So I wouldn't be too worried or concerned about it. On the contrary, I read a rather uh, um, cross article in the Financial Times just the other day that the EU is now very suspicious of uh, uh, the trade that some countries neighbouring Russia are now engaging in, and they're thinking that it might be sanctions bust. And I'm sure that's Kazakhstan is high on that list. Sam K says, will Syria still meet with Turkey after their election in order to remove the U.S. from Syria? I think so. But the election has to happen and Erdogan has to win <laughs> if it's going to be Erdogan and Assad. If Erdogan loses, then I, I don't know. I don't know how it will play out. Though I don't know of any political party in Turkey 
that supports continued intervention in Turkey. So it might even accelerate the reconciliation between Syria and Turkey. We'll see. Uh, at large 47, thank you for that super sticker. Shalendra says, why is Jeffrey Sachs blamed for Russia's economic problems in the 90s? Why indeed? Well, I think, I think you know, he, go, he go was ahead. there. He was there. No, but I think he explained, I mean, I don't want yeah. to speak for, for him, but I think when we did the, the first show, he explained how he he was listened to on Poland, but he wasn't listened to on uh, on uh, the Soviet Union, Russia. And, exactly. you know, he, he had two very different uh, ways to deal with both of the uh, the economies, but Poland he was listened to and it went well, and Russia he was kind of overruled yeah. on a lot of his yes. uh, his advice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm going to say it straightforwardly. I think the fundamental problem he ran into was that there were a lot of people in Washington who didn't want to see Russia revive. I mean, that's as simple as that. I mean, I I, I think that. Perhaps he went in, I'm sure he went in with the best of intentions, but uh, there were people in Washington who were willing him to fail because they wanted Russia to fail. Yeah. Elsa says, is destroying Pushkin's monuments a case for BLM? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think it's sort of the same and also different in all kinds of weird, weird ways. But it is, a, it is a horrible thing to do, actually. Uh, M. Dusabanda, welcome to the Duran community. Um, let's see. Sparky says, NATO Twitter post is another example of condescending elites talking down to everyone else when elites are actually now the simple ones. Good point. Very good point, actually. That's a very, very good point indeed. Uh, um, again, it's the elites now um, are less sophisticated and less understanding and have less human empathy than the people they condescend and patronize and talk about as, you know, ordinary people. Well, that's yeah. a very good point. Alexandros says, Galispera, do you know why Yanukovych was driven to break off negotiations with the EU in 2013-2014? He didn't break off negotiations with the EU. This is a complete myth. What he wanted was he was he he suspended the EU association agreement said look there's parts of it which have to be renegotiated because we need to preserve our free trade agreement with the russians and you know can we therefore talk about those things and have a discussion to see if we can find a way around and obviously we'll need to involve the russians as well because they're the other party and barozo who was the EU Commission president at the time, the EU, in other words, said, we are not prepared to change a single punctuation mark. Mm-hmm. It was the EU that refused to negotiate. Yep, exactly right. Uh, Commander Crossfire says, sounds harsh, but can the earthquakes bring the Syrians and Turks together, end the war and come together against the Kurds and others? Possibly. I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Uh, Stephen says, does anyone think the Chinese planned this and paid some politicians off in Washington, make other countries see us as corrupt and foolish? Maybe I'm overthinking things, 2025. I think you probably are overthinking things. But all I would say is um, you're absolutely right in one respect, that this is playing out to China's advantage. You know, right at the start of the war, we were saying it's the Americans who have come out, the winners. I, 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 and of course, you know, those of you who watched our 
the program um, in which I was involved with Glenn Deason and Chomsky. Chomsky still thinks that. I've increasingly come around to the view that it's the China that's coming out the winner and the US, which is in the end going to come out the loser. So, you know, that, that, uh, that, that's what I think. And I think it corresponds closely with what you're thinking. I know the Chinese arranged it, but they must be sitting back and saying to themselves, this administration is making one mistake after another and is playing into our hands. Yeah, Bruno says, what would be the economical consequences for the cordon sanitaire states in Eastern Europe after the Russian victory? Very good question. I'm not going to go that far because I don't know what the effect of a Russian victory in Ukraine is going to be in Eastern Europe, but I'm going to guess it's going to be profound and we're going to see different, probably, and this is my one thing I will say is I think we will see different responses in different states. So a place like Bulgaria, for example, which is very historically sympathetic to Russia, um, may respond in one way and another place like Poland or Romania might respond in a different one. And we could see stresses, for example, in the Czech and Slovak republics, they, you know, because there's, I think the feelings there are pretty divided. We could see Hungary pursuing different policies. We mustn't assume this is a consolidated, unified bloc. So they could each respond differently, but that there will be big responses. Of that, I have no doubt. Yeah, I've been hearing that in Slovakia, they're having protests about uh, the uh-huh. conflict. They don't want any, any part of it, almost on a weekly basis, absolutely. but no one's reporting on it. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. That's entirely correct. Uh, the government, however, is determined to stick with this mm-hmm. policy, even though it's lost its majority. It's suffered, I believe, a vote of no confidence in the parliament, but it's still there, clings on, and it goes on. And, of course, it's doing what governments that are under pressure now in the EU and in Moldova and the rest always do. They say it's all part of Russian destabilization. Yeah. Lena, welcome to the Duran community. Uh, Craig says, uh, 100, I am 70 years old because of the Duran and others. I can no longer watch broadcast media. They're too slow reporting and talks too much about all the media personalities. They're also neocons. I don't want to get bombed. Never felt more concerned. Thank well, you for thank that. Thank you for those Craig. very kind words. Yeah. We're all concerned. We're all concerned, Craig. Um, Deborah says, pride goeth before the fall. Victoria Newland. Absolutely true. Deborah. Uh, hubris, 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 as we say in Greece. Hubris, Thank yeah. you, Deborah, for that. Elena says, why do people conflate neoliberalism with Marxism? They are historical enemies in Russia. They are very clear about the differences and they viscerally despise neoliberalism. That's absolutely true in Russia. But of course, I mean, you know, um, Marxism can be interpreted in different ways in different places. Um, what I will say about it is this. If you look at the antecedents of many of the people today who are either neocons or neoliberals, surprisingly enough, you will find a Marxist background in many of them. I agree that ideologically there are s- substantial differences. And if you're talking about, you know, the type of Marxism that evolved in Eastern Europe in the Soviet Union. I mean, the the differences are so great that you can't really see a connection between the two. But I can understand why some people find a connection because, to be frank, 
it does exist. And I think also, you know, Gramscian Marxism, you know, that of Antonio Gramsci, who was never very popular, by the way, in uh, the Soviet Union. I think you can see that some of his ideas do shade fairly closely into what we could call neoliberalism today. Yeah, uh, Al59 says, the stupidity of the West astounds me instead of extending the hand of friendship to Russia, what do they do? They're, they're doing the opposite, making it the boogeyman. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I think we have to come back to the point that Alex made. Uh, at various points in this program and on other programs. The fundamental problem is that there are some people, Victoria Newland being only one, who have a visceral complex about Russia, which blinds them to, or to everything else. And unfortunately, they have gained control of policy. And you can argue and reason with them and say, well, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to pursue these kind of policies. We're creating a block against us. We're turning this country into an enemy where it might have been a friend. But they're not ultimately interested in that. And then they're not going to listen to those kind of arguments because they are too emotionally invested in this country's destruction. <laughs> There's no other word for it. Yeah, Amir, thank you for that super sticker. Jungle Jin says, why are the Omni-Wrong neocons still wielding power? You know, this is an excellent question. I mean, every single venture they've ever launched has been a failure, but they're still there. <laughs> they're still in control. In fact, their control has grown, grown greater. And I mean, I think there are multiple explanations for this, but I think ultimately the, the, the key one is money. The military industrial complex funds them, not because the people who run the MIC are themselves particularly interested in the ideologies of all of this or the geopolitics of all of this, but because they, the, the policies the neocons advocate are ones which are financially beneficial to the MIC. So there is this community of interest and the MIC has the big dollars and the big lobbyists and that enables people who are neocons to leverage all of that to get into all kinds of powerful positions. Yeah, summer of 1970 says, does Kagan's sister sit on the Supreme Court? I haven't heard that. I've never mm -hmm. heard that. Yeah, uh, Raphael says, Greta Thunberg supporting the war in Ukraine, SMH. Of, co of course, mm -hmm. <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> Thank you, Raphael, for that. D, D Moon says, uh, D Moon says, Russia is burning their playhouse down. Who can rebuild it? Defense corporations own the neocons, or is there a possibility of a more traditionalist conservative shift? Yes, there is a there is a possibility, but it will be very difficult. Trump underestimated in his first term how difficult it would be, but there are plenty of people out there who would be willing to come forward and to help a new administration change direction. Uh, Robert Jarava says, just sending you warm greetings from Canada. Thank you, Robert, Thank you. for that. Jungle Jin says, how can neocons be always wrong yet retain controlled, prolonged control over the levers of near global power? Well, we've, we, we've, we've we just that, discussed yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah says, love the live, live stream with both of you. I think it really works. 
Thank you, Thank Sarah. You. Uh, Mobius says, what are the ways that China can hurt Japan besides military means? Well, I mean, if there was an outright economic war between China and Japan, it would be very difficult for Japan. I mean, to say it straightforwardly, China, Japan's very invested in China. I mean, lots of Ch Japanese companies have factories and things like that in China. I mean, I own a rice cooker, which is in theory from a Japanese, well, it's from a Japanese company. And when I bought it, I thought it was Japanese, but, you know, it had them made in China <laughs> hallmark on it. So, I mean, you know, so you have all that going on. Um, so it would be very, it would be very difficult for Japan. Of that, there's no doubt at all. But, you know, maybe, I don't know that it will come to that, though. Sarah, thank you for that super chat. Thank you very much. Mark, thank you for that super sticker. Mark G. Red Viking says, Danish prime minister is a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> yes, I agree. Vladimir Fedorov says, Vlad, from Norway here, thank you for your outstanding contribution. I watch you both every day. Thanked Glenn Deason for the Chomsky program in person. Fantastic program. Yeah. I will. I'll pass that on. We are in constant contact. Let's see here. Um, Custard Pie, thank you for that super chat. Uh, Debo, the Black Panther, says, love you guys. I sense that with Saudi Arabia, Iran, Venezuela, and others rushing to join BRICS, is this a clear sign that the rest of the world is sick of the bullying? Even Mexico is looking to join. Yes, that's <laughs> a short answer. Um, I, you, you, you are completely correct. I mean, they are sick of the bullying. And we've done a program um, which I don't think I did, I, I'm not sure which come out yet, but it will very soon about the Chinese position paper about U.S. Yeah. foreign policy and the Chinese sense that people are becoming sick of the bullying. And that's why they're just now making this big pitch that they're going to be making, which is attacking U.S. policy, foreign policy head on because they sh they know that people are just getting tired of all of this. Yeah, I'll get that program up. I'll try to get it up tonight yeah. or tomorrow morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jungle Jin says a Hungary and Serbia alliance would make sense. I think we're seeing that actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think we we're are moving close to close yeah. together. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Transport says U.S. tried to contain China and have failed. China will never allow another country to rule over them again. So the only thing left is a military confrontation with the U.S., which will never allow them themselves to be defeated by China. Well, I hope we don't get into these terrible scenarios that you're outlining. I would say that anybody in the U.S. should be extremely wary about talking themselves or, or, or thinking about a war with China. I mean, um, years ago, and this is back in the 50s, uh, General MacArthur actually warned against it. He said that it would be an act of utter folly to get into any kind of land war in Asia with China. And he's right. And I wouldn't just be a land war now, it'd be a sea war as well. <laughs> Elena Warner says, Elena Kagan is Robert's sister, according to Google. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, no Sense says, the EU fall would be the first time an empire exits history without leaving anything good behind. Romanian foreign minister also denies any attack on Transnistria. Yeah, well, that's... You can you can you can accept all these denials if you wish <laughs> um, about about the United States. Um, uh, 
I mean, I think the United States has made, made many good and great contributions to the world, but this empire that it has now, the system that it has now, is purely destructive. And the, the quicker it's ended, the better for the world and the better for the United States and for the American people too. Mobius Zero says, you want to know something crazy. It seems Americans would have no issue with having a nuclear war over Taiwan. It seems eradicating society is worth it to stop China. I'm afraid there are some people, and I've encountered them, who um, have got themselves worked up into this kind of way. And I think it's a very dangerous and foolish thing. Reckless. Yeah. Um, Baba Yaga, uh, we answered that question. Putin has made statements about red lines. NATO has crossed those red lines. What do you think Russia will react to the shelling on Russia's on Russia proper? We we answered that, correct? Yes, yes, yeah, we did. Th thank you for that, we Baba did. Yaga. Uh, Mehdi says, "Will there be an ultimate showdown between the UN and BRICS in who defines international law? International no. laws? No, I don't think the BRICS will try to define international law." I, I don't think that's what they're all, they're they're about at all. I think that the BRICS accept that the UN Charter is the body that is that sets out the fundamental principles of international law. What there will be, and increasingly is, is arguments between the BRICS states and, in fact, most states and this small group of Western states about. The, interpret the correct interpretation of the UN Charter and also over this rules-based international order that the Western powers talk about now, or at least the Americans and the British talk about now, all the time, but which they never define. Yeah. BFTE Eyes Wide said, NATO was formed in 1949, whereas the Warsaw Pact was formed in 1955. Now, you may beg the question about the Cold War narrative, which led us into today's situation. A lot of lessons have been learned from history. And now you can see Russia, China, India, and the rest of the West dominated countries are coming together. And it's a beautiful, it's beautiful and hopeful. Yes, I agree with every point. And I would add, by the way, that, I mean, you know, this is not a defense of, you know, Stalin and his policies. But of course, after the Second World War, the Soviets claimed to be opposed to block confrontation. And that was one of the reasons why they delayed in setting up the Warsaw Pact. But they did eventually do so, obviously. Um, and if we look at the situation today, the Chinese and the Russians, again, say that they don't believe in and don't want to set up blocks. But we might eventually find ourselves in that place too. But the important thing to say is this block, if it's ever created in response to the Western block, will be immeasurably more powerful than the Warsaw Pact ever was. And it will bring in far more countries and it will be global in extent and it will present a far greater danger and challenge to the leadership, the position of the Western powers than the old Warsaw Pact ever did. I hope we don't get there. I agree with what you said. And I, too, also think that in the end, if we can get past this very difficult period, the future is hopeful. Yeah. Sparky says D.C. decision makers are at best two months behind on Intel, usually decades. Two months is forever. They should subscribe to the Duran and get current. <laughs> thank thank you, you for that. <laughs> Stefan, thank, thank you for joining the Duran community. Roman says, how much longer do you think the U.S. has before needing a peace deal with Russia to prevent overcommitment to Ukraine? 
Well, I think the military have basically said the sum. And I, I don't see why I would disagree with that. I, I think that's about right. I think, you know, they got until the summer and then after the summer, things begin to move a lot faster. And, you know, we start seeing, you know, Ukraine running out of shells and the Russians advancing faster west. The, the risk is that, you know, if the Newlands and the Sullivans and all the, that crowd is still there, they won't seek a peace deal. They'll seek even more escalation. Yeah. Summer of 1970 says, no, so no conflict of interest having Kagan's sister sitting on the Supreme Court seems like one to me. Well, of course. Yeah. I didn't know uh, that, actually. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, Ryan says, I previously asked about Patriarch Bartholomew's role in the religious aspect of this war. Turkey is pivoting east. Will he become even more isolated? Yes. Yes. I mean, I think he's a disastrous figure, actually, if I may say. And I think he's done huge damage to to um, orthodoxy and he will become more isolated. Yeah. Um, Commando Crossfire says Armenia is moving to the West. EU mission to undermine Russian heritage. What is the news there and how are relations between Russia and Azerbaijan? Well, that's a very complicated question because... Um, so far, and for the moment, Russian relations with Azerbaijan seem to be getting better, and that's worrying Armenia a lot. And there's been arguments with between Armenia and Russia, and the Russians and the Armenians have had many meetings. And Putin has to speak to Pashinyan, the Armenian prime minister, and reassure him: "Look, we're not actually, you know, letting you down. We still." concerned about you so this is a complicated thing but it is interesting the extent to which azerbaijan i think it, it, look the initiative is coming more from the azerbaijan than from russia is starting now to lever leverage it's, it's starting to tilt more to russia I, I i personally going to take say what i think i think the russians have got pretty much the whole caucasus now sewn up the government in georgia is looks like it's drifting towards them. Azerbaijan is tilting towards them. Armenia can't ultimately completely break away. It, it's not able to. So gradually, steadily, incrementally, the Russians are tightening their grip on the Caucasus. And perhaps it's unsurprising that they would. Uh, Vikram, welcome to the Dran community. Sarah says, uh, sorry, wrong about Elena Kagan, but she is the granddaughter of Russian Jewish immigrants. Okay. Okay. So she's not. She's not connected to. I. I, I didn't. Yeah, okay, okay. Good. <laughs> really. thank, thank you for that, Sarah. Um, Wooten DW says, "Don't see much chance of the West reversing course in Ukraine unless their hero Lensky is outed. General Zeluzhny has support of Banderites and the respect of Russia. Any chance of his replacing Z?" I don't think right. I, I this is a very good question. I mean, do you remember the? Do you remember the purge? Do you remember all these people who were being sacked? Uh, um, notice how, from one day to the next, that whole thing has been switched off. <laughs> I mean, you know, something was being, something was going on, and then some somebody seems to have said, it must have been in Washington again." You know, um, this isn't what we really want. So they brought the whole the whole thing to. A, stop suddenly and the media isn't talking about it anymore and Reznikov the defense minister who's going to be sacked 
Well, surprise, surprise, he's still there. And Budanov, who was going to replace him, hasn't replaced him. So, I mean, what this all shows is that there's some kind of push-pull going on. It shows that policy is being made on the fly again. But I, I, I have to say, I think that if Zelensky does go, which perhaps one day he will, I'm starting to think it probably won't be solutioning. I think he's um, now too implicated, if you like, with Zelensky to be a credible, a credible replacement. Just a guess. Mobius Zero says, what will historians say when either North Korea or China eradicates Japan with their nukes? Japanese extinction, extinction anyone? Well, let's hope it never happens because if such a thing does happen, um, history will say it was an appalling tragedy and a complete disaster. And, you know, Japan is an ancient civilization. It's achieved great things. Its art is amazing. Its cuisine is, you know, maybe that sounds a trivial thing to say, but its cuisine is extraordinary. It's done great poetry, great painting. Let's not want to see the Japanese people uh, uh, exposed to that kind of thing. Let's hope that instead there's some kind of reconciliation between these East Asian nations. Elena says, if Finland enters NATO, can Russia ask for reparations for, for Leningrad? That's a very good question indeed. Now, of course, it's a complicated story because in 1940s, the Russians basically, they didn't, they didn't absorb Finland into their system. They didn't impose a communist government on Finland. But they did insist on Finnish neutrality. And there was a treaty in which whereby Finland agreed to be neutral. And then in the 90s, along comes Boris Yeltsin. And that all gets watered down. And it's replaced by a much different treaty. And Finland's policies shift but I do know that a lot of Russians feel very, very angry about Finland. They feel that it betrayed the promises that it made in the 40s. And I suspect there's going to be an awful lot of unfinished business between Russia and Finland over the next couple of years. I'm not going to try and predict the outcome, but I don't think it's going to be happy for Finland. Omar Grant says, how come the entire world is not taking the bombing of Nord Stream pipeline more seriously? I think the world is taking it very seriously. You must make the mistake of thinking that the world isn't taking it seriously. Um, the West is trying to ignore it, but that means that they're taking it seriously too. If they maintain a total silence about it, that doesn't mean that they're not taking it seriously. On the contrary, it confirms that it does. They're very, very nervous about this. Yeah. Um, Ryan says America has a chance to be part of the fair world order. Instead, they're doing the opposite and ruining it for the American people. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah. No sense says it was the EU empire's fall, not the U.S. U.S. will survive and morph. I've seen the Romanian foreign minister. The message was a hint for Ukraine not to push it. Yes, I agree with both points, actually. I agree Island, with yeah. Island Popsicle says it appears the U.S. is committed to a conflict with China, regardless as to how their Ukraine adventure goes. Would the rest of the world retaliate against the U.S. if the U.S. provokes another conflict? 
let's hope that there isn't a conflict. If there is a conflict, very different difficult to know what the dynamics of it will be and what the geopolitical effects will be. It will be a geopolitical earthquake which will make Ukraine seem like a minor affair. I have to say that at the moment, most of the world, I suspect, would tilt towards China. Yeah. Valias says, hello, everyone, checking in and sending love. Hello, Valias. Thanks. Great to have you here. Uh, Sparky says, before Pushkin, Russian literature was written in French. No, that's not entirely true. There was a Russian literature before a Russian literature in Russian before Pushkin. And there are actually Russian poets before Pushkin in Russian. And um, Pushkin, of course, is the first Russian literary figure to achieve a global reputation. And he remains for Russians the poet, if you like. But it's like Shakespeare. I mean, you know, there was an English literature before Shakespeare, but Shakespeare, you know, is a titanic figure. And, you know, people who read Beowulf or struggle through Chaucer have a hard time of it. And for most people, English literature does start with Shakespeare. Uh, Punter 57 says, I like to play Fiat Monopoly when I run out of money. I simply write Good for you. you. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's, I think you should speak to uh, Janet Yellen and uh, <laughs> uh, I think Colin Powell, Powell, Jeter, Jerome Powell. I think they could take some tips from you, actually. <laughs> Al 59 says, Russia was meant to suffer by the sanctions. How is this working out for the West? Vlad is laughing all the way to the bank. It certainly is. I mean, I was looking at the economic figures, by the way, and uh, the, the story. And in fact, it, it's worse than if there'd been you know, an epic crash in the West, because what it looks like is that we're not going to get an epic crash. We're going to get something much worse than that. We're going to get essential stagnation, indefinite stagnation, it looks like, in the EU. Uh, even the US is going to be limited to about 1% growth <laughs> from about a year on. And this is terrible. The rest of the world is going to go on growing and we're going to be stagnating indefinitely. And this is a, a, a horrible outcome. And Russia is going to pick itself up and grow faster than us. The upcoming election from Rosary 9, the upcoming election in Nigeria is being sponsored by, by the US government. There was an ad on Twitter. Is Nigeria facing... Elimination interference, election interference. Yes, it's the short yes, answer. It yeah. Of course it is, yeah. Yeah, uh, an ad with Blinken and Samantha Power in it. I saw that ad. I know, I know, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, Sarah says, uh, this joint live stream really works. Great audience interaction. Thank, Thank you, you very much. That. Thank you very much for that. Uh, where am I here? Uh, Raphael says, guys, I live in Vermont, one hour from Canada. Do you guys know that this country is about to be split into the coalition of the Indians and the Metis is real? These two want their own territory. I didn't. I didn't know about it. Um, Tristan says, what are the Goldies like with the little ones? I'm not sure I understand that one. The sure gold is like with a little. I'm not sure I understand that. Sorry. Not sure I understand that. Oh, th thank you, Tristan, for that super mm. chat. Uh, 
Uh, Jungle Jin says, how does Russia supply landlocked Transnistria? Well, it does. I mean, it, believe it or not, it supplies it through Ukraine. And one of the great paradoxes, one of the most strange facts about this war is that so far, gas and oil have continued to flow across Ukraine, not entirely unimpeded, but certainly they st it's still able to flow from Russia at reduced quantities. In fact, as uh, European gas reserves have fallen, which they have been, by the way, they're actually now buying more gas from Russia via the Ukrainian pipelines. You won't find many um, people talk about that. Let's see here. A lot of, lot of questions still left to get through. Um, Orlando, thank you for that super sticker. Blinded by the light says, the world order is so effed up and I can't get away. Keep the truth flowing. Love your work and passion. Cheers from Aussie. Thank you. Thank, thank you for that. Chris says, interesting how Spain and the UK share similar modern dilemma and historic overextension, both blueprints to the US empire and embryonic attempts at globalism. Your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not going to add much to that because I think your points are exactly right. I mean, if the United States wants to understand its dangers, it could it could do worse than study the histories of Spain and Britain. Yeah. Uh, Bayer Kuri says, what about Moldova? What is happening there? I think we've talked about Moldova. Talked about I think we've word. talked about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no sense had some good information as well about yes. some statements yes. from the Romanian foreign minister. Romanian foreign minister, yeah. yeah. It seems like Romania doesn't want any kind of conflict there, no. which is a good a good thing. Uh, Zarael says, gents, my coffee contribution for not being able to help out, but excellent live today. Thank you so very much you. for your hard and continuous great work. God bless you both. Thank and you. Have a great weekend. Thank mm -hmm. you, Zarael, very much. Thank you so much. Red Pill Scholar says, love you guys. We're all in your debt. God bless you. Thank you very much, uh, Red Pill Scholar, for that. Mark says, Bojo keeps talking about Ukraine retaking Crimea. Does not explain what will happen to the people of Crimea. 70% Russian, 15% Tartars, if this happens. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's something that nobody in Britain ever talks about. I mean, it's hardly ever discussed. I think Bojo has been a disastrous uh, um, influence over this war, actually. Once upon a time, British prime ministers acted as a force for restraint in these kind of conflicts. Margaret Thatcher did, by the way, on relations with the Soviet Union, as we now know, more so in private than in public, which he did. Before that, Harold Macmillan did. If you go back even further, Winston Churchill did. I mean, you know, they tried to act to restrain and tamp down crises when they arose. Bojo has inflamed this one, and I think it's perhaps the worst thing he's done since he became uh, a prime minister, and he's still doing it even now when he's no longer prime minister. Yeah. Uh, Greg001 says, apologize for joining late. Have you further discussed the threats vis-a-vis -vis Transnistria, likely trajectory? Yes. Yes, yeah, I think yeah. we have. <laughs> what? <laughs> At great yeah. length. Thank you, Greg, for, for that. We have, we have. Uh, and we don't have much info, to be quite honest. We, we have no. statements from the Russian Ministry of Defense. We have yeah. some some statements from the the new Prime Minister of uh, yeah. of Moldova, but um, 
That, that's it, really. Mobius and, and Zero lots says of room, lots of rumors, lots of as rumors. well about yeah, lots of rumors. Yeah. yeah, Mobius Zero says, "I'm sorry about all the Japan talk, but as a country that I am extremely fond of, I don't like how Japan is digging its own grave at all." Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think Japanese policy is completely wrong. And I think Japan should seek peace with China and should seek peace with Japan, uh, with Russia. And I agree with that. I completely agree with that. But, um, you know, I think we've discussed Japan, Japanese policy at length. I hope one day Japan, an ancient country as it is, will find its way and will break away from all of this and will seek peace with its neighbors. Yep. The lone gunman says all the majors are in Nigeria, Dutch Royal Shell, British Petroleum, Exxon. It's their it's their oil colony. They are drooling over the pools in the Euros and Georgia. The West yeah. runs runs on oil. EU is dying without it. This is the last grab. Yes, I agree with this completely. And can I just say, and uh, I, I, you know, this is one of the things I used to hear people say back in the nineties that you know they were that Russia was Nigeria with snow. So that gives us an idea both about what they used to think about Russia. I, I actually heard people say that, you know, people who were involved in Russia at that time uh, and, and that that was what they wanted it to become. So that tells you what they think about Russia. And it also tells you what they think about Nigeria. And I think Nigerian people should be aware of that and, and be awake to it. Yeah, Island Popsicle says, wish I could contribute more. Just want to thank you guys for all you do. Excellent analysis and discussion. And you guys make great sweatshirts. Thank you for that. Thank you Island very much. Popsicle. Thank you. Uh, Ed Sparky says, my mistake. I suppose that I was reading into Pushkin's informal title, The Father of Russian Literature. Sorry about that. Hey, thank you, Sparky, for that. Um, Elza says, what's your take on Russia's suspension of start? Well, I'm very depressed about the whole business. I mean, it seems to me that arms control is collapsing and we've just seen another case in point. I don't think that I, well, I'm not particularly critical about what the Russians have done. I think it was inevitable. I mean, as far as I can see, the Americans were no longer cooperating with the Russians on inspections. That's what Putin says. I don't see anybody contradicting that to any great extent. You can't have a situation where one party conducts inspections and the, the other doesn't. And as Putin rightly said, you know, they talk about destroying Russia, fragmenting it, breaking it up. And at the same time, they say that we should have a right to inspect Russian nuclear facilities. It doesn't make any kind of sense. And of course, it doesn't. So I, I hope eventually we get back to some kind of arms control regime. But it won't be for years, I'm afraid. And in the meantime, all that hard work done by all those people from the 1960s through the 70s, 80s, 90s and early 2000s has gone to waste. Kelly Klein, welcome to the Drag Community. Ryan Winter says, I wonder, wouldn't getting a land bridge to Slovakia, Hungary and through, and through, the, later, through the latter to Serbia be an incentive for Russia to go all the way to the border with Poland? Yes, I think it would be. And I'm sure there are people in Moscow who are making that very point. Whether they are the dominant group in Moscow, I don't know. I'm guessing that Medvedev is one of them. Uh, Sancho Relaxo says, are those at the covert centers of power aware that they are exposing us to many pages of their playbook? 
by trying so many classic reuse disruption and psyop psy tactics in such a short time. Good point. I, that's a very good point, actually. Um, I don't know what they're aware of. I suspect many of them are so consumed with their schemes and their plans and their plots and the discussions they all have with each other about these things that they probably not they don't see that in the way that you do but you're absolutely right arctic lord says russia has nukes yes but their economy is less than the size of texas alone they cannot compete with nato well that's been the theme that we've heard for how long now how many years it's this, you know, the gas station masquerading as a country and all that. And it's, you know, got an economy the size of Texas or is it the Netherlands or is it Italy? Or is it Baluchistan or the Galapagos Islands or whatever? Well, that is obviously not so. If it were so, they would not have withstood the sanctions pressure. I mean, yeah. to be quite clear, I mean, you know, a country a Western country the size of Texas with an economy the size of Texas that was exposed to the kind of sanctions that Russia has been exposed to would not have survived. And if you visit Russia, as both of us have done, well, Alex has lived there, you would see straight away that that is nonsense. Pirate Fish says, with all the 24-hour rhetoric, I wish to remind all their all there are three sides to every war, your side, their side, and the truth. Yeah, true. Yeah. We try to seek it. And, you know, I think we are sometimes skeptical about some of the things the Russians themselves say. Well, we, we started this whole discussion with a discussion about Prigozhin and the Russian Ministry of Defense and all that. Yeah. And, and thank you for that super chat. Uh, Conover Alpine says, love the show. I listen to you guys every day. My question is, what are the chances of Germany and Russia getting back to business after the war? How long before the Germans get rid of their government? I don't know. I think there's a fair chance that the Germans will get rid of their government at some point in the you know, foreseeable, near, reasonably near future. But I think that the problem is that the Russians have seen how much hostility to them there exists in Germany and how unstable this relationship with Germany that they'd worked so hard to build actually was that I think they'll be very, very, very careful, very wary about getting rebuilding the relationship in the same way again. I think permanent damage has been done to it. Yeah. On, on the previous uh, question, I said the 20, 24 hour, it was the 24th rhetoric, meaning I guess the 24th of, of February. Oh, I see. Okay, right. Okay. My mistake. Sorry. sorry. <coughs> okay. okay. Fish. Um, Ali Sikander said, lots of countries can say no to the US, like African countries, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, Cuba, but why can't Germany? What is stopping them to defy America? Well, I think there's two things. There's two. It's a good question. I think there's two things. First of all, never underestimate the Atlanticist uh, uh, block within Germany. The United States has been heavily involved in Germany since the Second World War. The, there are lots of people in the intelligence community, in the media, in the business community, and of course in the political class with strong ties to the United States. And I think that's a always a very powerful lobby group there. I have to say, though, and this is a shock to me, 
it's absolutely clear to me now that there is also, separately from this block, another block, the two overlap, obviously, that there is also very strong continued resentment and hostility towards Russia. I mean, Ursula von der Leyen is being a case in point. So, I mean, that is, I think, the problem. Um, it's clear that there are still far too many people in Germany, especially within the political class, who straightforwardly still hate Russia. And I think this has come as a shock to the Russians, and it's come as a big shock to me. Yeah. Uh, Balke says, dropped into the news just now and saw Chinese as 10 points. I note that one, two, and eight are unverifiable. You mean this is about the peace proposal? Yeah, the I peace, think that's yeah. right. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. I, as I said, I did, this isn't a peace plan. We, we talked about it at the start of the program. This is not a peace plan or even a roadmap to peace. It's just a statement of principles. That's all it is. It's, a, it's signposts, certain general ideas that the Chinese have about how a crisis like the one in Ukraine ought to be resolved. But it makes proposals which the West will never accept. And you have to go to the start of our program where we discuss it. Uh, Taite says, what is the neocon's origin? Is the neocon today different from the ones in the past? Right. I think the origin of the neocons goes back to the 60s. And I think you will find that they are people who um, became swept along in Vietnam over the Vietnam War. They originated out of a cross, if you like, between the Vietnam hawks, the people who wanted to pursue the war in Vietnam, and certain people on the left in American politics, the Trotskyists left in the U US politics, particularly in New York, who were always hostile to the Soviets and then to Russia, um, and who combined, they crossed with the Vietnam hawks and the one brought this idea, you know, about American power, American policy and all the rest. And the other brought to this idea, Trotsky's idea of permanent revolution, expanding revolution around the world. And the, the two came together and they birthed the neocons. Yeah. Uh, Ronald B says Russia is pursuing a war of attrition against Ukraine. If Ukraine can amass troops next to Transnistria and can threaten it with an invasion. Is the attrition really working? Well, I mean, the, the, we're talking about a completely different uh, um, type of war. If we're talking about uh, a, a Russian force of 400 men, which is what we are in Transnistria, then you don't need tens of thousands of troops to defeat that. You might be losing hundreds of thousands of troops on your eastern border, but if you could scrabble together 5,000 men, you can presumably deal with 400. I mean, can I just say, if you're talking about attrition wars, there's no more classic example of attrition war in some ways than the Second World War. But even at the end of the Second World War, I think it was in December, November or December, when Germany was clearly losing, they still had enough troops to occupy Hungary and to overthrow the government of Admiral Halsey. And, uh, and to bring into power the Arrow Cross, which was set up by the Germans literally a few weeks before, if you like, the end. So, you know, you could still find, uh, you know, a country that is falling 
might still have enough force to be able to exert itself against an even weaker power. Yeah, Ricardo Alfonso says, U.S. should have used stealthy approach regarding Russia and China, slowly infiltrate their institutions as they did with the EU. They would have gotten their victory, but they need to humiliate their enemies. Well, that's true, except, of course, that I think both the Chinese and the Russians were pretty wise, became pretty wise to what the Americans were up to. And one of the problems that the U.S. ran into was that the Russians and the Chinese started to take precautions against it. Yeah. Raphael says, watching the two speeches side by side, one is confident and calm, one is jumpy, scared and out of control. Russia has discipline and NATO is BS. You're completely right. Watch Alex's programs about Biden. I mean, I find them quite funny, actually. I find them very funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the Ratch says, Marxist neoliberalism makes just about as much sense as anarcho-Bidenism? So, someone <laughs> isn't a Marxist. <laughs> someone isn't a Marxist just because they hung out at the communist meetings in college, likely surveilling them for the FBI. I, I entirely agree with that. But I mean, you know, bear in mind, there's Marx, the Marxism, you know, which uh, Karl Marx himself might have recognized. <laughs> and there's the various evolutions and further evolutions and things. You might have turned out, turned up to Marx's meetings at college, taken away some ideas, packaged them in your own way, called yourself a Marxist for a while and fairly easily become a neoliberal. Uh, Amir says, Alexander, what do you know about Donald? Kagan, apparently a respected scholar on ancient Greece at Yale, oh, yeah. and who wrote While America Sleeps, which many count as a manifesto for the neocon movement. Yeah, and I do, I do, as a matter of fact, I do know Donald Kagan. I don't think he's a particular, I mean, he's, he's not, let me put it like this, he's, he's a, a writer on ancient Greek affairs, particularly ancient Athenian affairs, um, that I don't actually especially agree with. I mean, my views about ancient Greek, ancient Athenian policy, which is what he mainly wrote about, what Donald Ray Kagan mainly wrote about. I, I, I prefer Geoffrey de Saint-Croix unequivocally. I think I'm more on his side than amongst Donald Kagan, but I'm not going to deny that he isn't at some level, you know, a, you know, a good, well, at least a, a, a reputable, solid historian. I, I mean, I, he's not my favourite historian on those affairs but you know what he says about politics today is completely wrong in my opinion you mustn't assume that an ancient historian is going to be good on contemporary foreign policy yeah uh Fickelstein solutions to usury says question for alexander there is a bill in congress to audit the americans assistance to the ukraine if it is not signed into law is it possible for their for their congress to refuse to fund their government until such a time as the audit is carried out is well, that why, likely to happen. Why would it not be signed? Why why this resistance to carrying out an audit? Okay, it's a it's a rhetorical question, but I mean, you know, surely you're going to give away tens of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars. Conducting an audit is pure common sense. You're not doing it. I mean, that begs some rather interesting questions, doesn't it? But, of course, the reason is, as Alex said, most of the money doesn't stay in Ukraine. <laughs> so that's why you don't want it audited. And given what you're talking about, I would have thought 
I'm going to say this. I mean, you know, if it's audited, perhaps it disincentivizes some people from sending money to Ukraine. Of course. It might make it more difficult for Congress to actually vote these packages through. Of course. Absolutely correct. Uh, Jungle Jin says, you have to feel for Assad, who only who only ever wanted to be an ophthalmologist before his brother had the bad, the bad taste to get killed in a car accident. Yeah, I think a lot of people have made that point, actually. I will say this. I mean, he's risen to the challenge of being president of Syria, even though it wasn't something he wanted to be. And, you know, given the challenge, I mean, that's, you know, some rising to it. Yeah. Summer of 1970 says another great stream at the Duran. Thank you for that. Thank you. Summer of 1970. Commander Crossfire says, I hope future generations truly appreciate the unpayable debt humanity owes to Russia and her peoples. Not once, not twice, but time and time and time again, they stood for the oppressed, not saints, but giants. Well, um, some people in the West want to forget all of that. But, you know, we should remember what the Russians have contributed to the world. Absolutely. Uh, Alan Popsicle says, it appears the U.S. is committed to a conflict with China, regardless of how your Ukraine adventure goes. Actually, we answered that. Thank you, Alan Popsicle, for that. Uh, Chris says, politics is now all an inversion. Foreign intervention by state is benevolent and noble, while, while broader society behavior is flawed and evil. Inversion of reality. You're completely right. It's one of the things that is very disturbing and which we should guard against and recognize. Hmm. Uh, tired looking for names says some say that Ursula's great-grandfather lost textile factories after the revolution in Russia I didn't know that but it wouldn't surprise me at all yeah Yeah, it wouldn't surprise you Beardman thank you for that super sticker Golden Silence says we are living in clown world Germany got a prawn star as its foreign minister Vander Stupid got her troops running around with brooms for the NATO training exercise Laugh and cry, or cry and cry and laugh. I I think you and Alex need to team up. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Uh, Let's see. What is going on in Moldova? What is happening there? We answered that. Um, Red Viking says the Danish prime minister says Russia will invade NATO. Okay. Thank you for that, Red Viking. Frank, welcome to the Durant community. Uh, Island Popsicle says there's a lot of worry about Japan if war breaks out in East Asia, but what position would South Korea take? Seoul is right next to the DMZ. Would they be eager to become a battleground and fodder? Well, I think we talked about South Korea now exhaustively. I mean, we'll see what the South Koreans do. I mean, they they do have um, potentially the power to change things radically in Asia if they choose to exercise it. And I think conceivably one day they might do a different perspective says how do you share the state of things with family can't be easy researching this every day thank you for your work you've got that's a very good question well uh, you know you give up other things like sleep for example well (laughs) actually that's an exaggeration but uh, um I, uh, i i do we do i do manage to balance thing out things out and i'm sure alex does as well you know one has to work hard and one has to work hard with one's family i mean i think i spend a lot of my time with my family jeffrey thank you for that super sticker 
Tatiana Carmichael, thank you for that super sticker. A different perspective says clearly economics are not defined by GDP, but as as carefully as as a careful management of available resources, maybe that's why they're separating. Russia will be fine with BRICS. Absolutely correct. I mean, that's entirely. I mean, GDP was never intended to be used as this cat, you know, sort of mod, it's, you know, statistical tool for measuring the size of economies. The person who came up with the idea in the 30s, I believe, has always always said so. He's, he, he was always very critical of the way GDP was being misused in that way. But, you know, people still do it because it's easy to goose up GDP, to make it look bigger than it really, you know, the bigger than the economy really is. From Darren, U.S. openly announced plans to take on China. China knows it's next. So why does China not openly announce support for Russia and start sending weapons? Well, it might do, though I don't know. But I mean, I don't think Russia particularly needs huge numbers of weapons from China. And I think what the Chinese are doing, and they're doing it very skillfully, is that they're saying, look, maybe the Americans are coming after us. But if they are, please be aware, we stand for an alternative way of conducting international relations. We're not there to bully people or harass them or do those sort of things. We're ready to work with people, not, not go against them. And I think that's what the Chinese are doing. And by doing that, they're bringing more and more countries on side with them so that if there is eventually this great clash with the United States, China won't be alone. Um, Zeus, Zeus Thunderbolt says war against Russia will not end as it's promised to not as it's pro as as it's promised to not use nuclear weapons first has rendered it impotent and not a country to fear your opinion on war against a non-nuclear country. I'm not sure I understand that. I mean, I think if you start war with nuclear weapons, a country with nuclear weapons, then you are inviting huge danger upon yourself. I mean, the Russians are making that point all the time. Wars between countries which have no, don't have nuclear weapons, I'm afraid they still happen. And they happen quite a lot in all sorts of places. Wilvern, welcome to the Dragon community. Uh, Born Jedi says, the world consumes 97 million barrels per day. We have about 41 years of oil left at current consumption levels and excluding unproven reserves. Do you gents think we have reached peak oil and is all this debacle a symptom? I have not, I'm not an expert on this whole peak oil thing. I mean, I remember it was a big, big issue before the shale revolution came in and then you heard less about it. Perhaps we have. Um, the um, Saudis, for one, and Putin himself also, by the way, are saying that the problem is not that there isn't oil around. It's just that with the um, climate change agenda, there hasn't been the investment in extracting it. And that means that there's going to be a fall in production of oil in the next couple of years, even as demand remains high, and that's going to push up oil prices. And that could yeah. be a major factor in the way countries are acting. Electric Beaver says, Ted Cruz on his podcast, Verdict, he claimed Biden's first response to the Russian move into Ukraine was to offer Zelensky a way, a ride out. Ted's claim is that Biden was going to abandon Ukraine. No, I don't believe that at all. I think that's Ted Cruz trying to make 
Biden look weak. And uh, uh, Ted Cruz has always been, um, I mean, in many ways, he's, an, he, he, he's a clever man, but he's always been ultimately a neocon. And yeah. at the same time, uh, uh, on the Republican side. So I, I, don't, I don't give any credence to that. Elena Diaz says it's very quiet on the Kaliningrad front, Kaliningrad front, isn't it? Actually, Poland is, says that they've erected barricades. On the exactly. Kaliningrad. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That was announced today, actually. Yes. Uh, yes. And they have photos. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Chris says it's hard to understand Germany's position. Could the reasons be found in history? GDR, Stasi, destabilization, Weimar, Germany, denial of eastward expansion, envy of Russian self-sufficiency self and resources. I think the thing to understand about Germany, as I said, is those two things that I said. Firstly, there is an Atlanticist block in Germany, which is very powerful and which basically controls the media in Germany. The media in Germany has always been profoundly Atlanticist. And at the same time, it's clear that this historical anti-Russian stream in German policies, pop German politics, continues and remains very strong. I have to say, I underestimated it. I didn't think, I thought it had gone but it clearly does still exist and it's very, it remains very powerful. Don Viejo says, politician is not a job, it's a diagnosis. <laughs> and Zarael says, guys, competing with Putin's speeches in length. Yes, we are. Thank you for that, Zarael. How's your voice holding up, Alexander? We have a few well, more it's, questions it's, to get to. It's, we're, we're, it's, we're wrapping it's, up. it's just it's just about there still. Okay, <laughs> we're wrapping up. Bob Page, thank you for that super chat. Uh, Radar Barstat, thank you for that super chat. And Nikolai, we are going to end this stream on Nikolai's uh, statement. Big props to Ray McGovern and Jeffrey Sachs for speaking out at the UN meeting on the Nord Stream sabotage. And thank you, Alex and Alexander. Thank you, Nikolai. Absolutely. Thank and thank you to everyone that uh, joined us on this uh, live stream. Oh, Craig, Craig Reinhardt says, it's been reported that China's CCP has two red lines for Taiwan. They are no expression of independence and no military buildup from the USA or Japan. Biden announced more troops to Taiwan. Scary. Yes, he did. Yes, yes he did. Absolutely. Uh, quadruple the, the troops, I believe. Quadrupling, right? the, absolutely. And it is, it's very scary. And it, it shows you that if you, if you give Rob Biden a red line, his response is to walk over it, which is um, extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, and But that's what he does. We did it with Thank Ukraine you. and he's doing it with Taiwan too. Thank you, Craig, very much for that. And just a couple more. Uh, Zeus Thunderbolt said, Russia will never use nuclear weapons first. Only Eastern Europeans and Russians die. Tell me, why would the war end till Russia breaks? Well, again, I'm not quite sure I understand that. I think if we start getting into a situation where nuclear war is used, weapons are used, then it just it's not just Russia that ends. All of us do. Yeah. Don't forget Russia has the hypersonics and they've got the submarines. Absolutely. You know, kind of, yeah. kind of hidden around. And that's very dangerous for... Uh, for the West, so let's not get there. Uh, Heladel says, want to thank you both so much for your perspectives and insights over the past year to the day. Thank, thank, thank you. For that. 
Okay, I think we can wrap up this live stream, Alexander. I said an hour and a half, and we went two hours and 45 minutes. Uh, J.H. Well, Scott was says, thank you for taking the time to answer questions. Thank you, James. J. Well, J. Scott thank you. Thank you very much. And it was a great live stream, and I think we both enjoyed it hugely. Yeah, it was a great live stream, and uh, thank you to our moderators, Alice in Blunderland. Great to have you here, Alice. Great to have you with us, Valley S., Zarael, thank you. As always, William Justice, great name. Great to have you here, William Justice. And mm -hmm. Alan Watson was also with us. And and the great Reckless Abandon as well. And Peter, Peter, thank you so much for helping us moderate. And I think that is everyone that helped us moderate. Yeah. A big up to our moderators. The best in the world. Yeah, and I agree. Yes. J.H. Scott says, always learn a lot from both of you and the guests. Thank you, J.H. Scott. Paul, thank you for that super chat. And John Diamond says, what would you think about Donald Trump or another non-leftist coming into the presidency declaring martial law? I don't, I don't think that would happen. But... I don't think it's going to happen. No, I don't think it can happen, actually. No, but anyway, it's an interesting thought, but anyway. That would be an interesting news topic to discuss. It would. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you to everyone that joined us on Rockfin, on Odyssey, on Rumble, on YouTube, and on Locals, the Duran.locals.com. Thank you to everybody. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Alexander. Let's uh let's get some rest, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> Put out some more videos. <laughs> All right. Okay. Take, take okay. care, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.